guys, welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this is a very special episode. So, of course, I'm joined by my partner in crime, MK. Hello. Hi. MK, why is it a very special episode? I'm saying hello to you for the 100th time. The 100? Well, sort of the 100th time. 100? Yeah. 100 is so many. It's, it's like more than I can count on my fingers. It's so much many. It's much many, very large. Who would have thought we would have hit 100? Who would have thought it would have taken this long? <laughs> you know what? We're technically in our fifth season. Yes. It technically took us five years. Yes. So we are like an incredibly low-budge, disorganized, garbage fire of a television show in this fashion. So we're, like, better than NCIS, is what you're saying. No, NCIS makes lots of money, and everyone over the age of 38 apparently watches that show, so we cannot aspire to the great heights of NCIS. To be fair, nobody gets beaten with soap on this podcast. Uh, that's what you guys think. Check in later for soap eating. <laughs> Check in later for the bonus material. <laughs> oh my god. So, given that it's 100 episodes, which is, like, I we're not joking when we say, like, we did not ever anticipate this milestone. Like, it was funny because when we started thinking about, like, holy shit, this, quote, season of Slash Report is going to be the one where we hit 100, we started looking into what sort of, what were the trappings of our first episode, and, like, it really looks like we just got bored one day and recorded a Skype conversation. That's literally what happened. We were already Skyping. We were like, you know what? We're fucking cool. We should record this shit. We're so cool and so funny. We should definitely record this for posterity. Hot tip, guys. One of the least cool things you can do is be like, we're so cool. We should record this. It's 100% true. <laughs> um, so we recorded it just for shits and giggles and funsies. Threw it up on our live journals. As you do in 2011. As you do back in 2011. And uh... <laughs> it, uh, it worked out pretty well until we got kicked off of our paid unlimited hosting. Uh, apparently not unlimited yeah it, it was a really interesting journey and I feel like I can't you know I I I wish I kept a journal or something but I honestly can't remember what we were thinking about when we started this podcast only that um I mean for context like I'm a podcast junkie I listen to probably like anywhere anywhere between 20 to 30 of them um I find they're a really interesting way of like kind of absorbing information they're super um, they're super accessible and easy for people to make. So lots of really unique voices that you normally don't hear can make podcasts because they're relatively inexpensive to produce and really easy to distribute. And um, I'd, I'd been a podcast junkie pretty much from the start. And I loved podfic in fandom. Like I think I recorded some really early podfic in fandom. And I guess I just was thinking about my like deep love of radio shows, like good radio, <laughs> and was like thinking, yeah, like fandom is all about conversations. Why doesn't fandom have a podcast for conversations? And in like the grand tradition of like, I really wish someone would do that. And it ending up being you, you have to be the one to do that. I guess we were the ones to do that. 
I could not have come at this from like a more different position than you in, you know, this is classic slash report in which <laughs> you and I are like, no, um, I did not like podcasts before we started doing this. I don't even think what? I listened to any before what? we started doing this. Yeah. Like maybe I was listening to like one. What? Um, and I hate the radio. I still hate the radio like so much. <laughs> Don't you fucking listen to the radio when you shower? It's creepy that I know that, but like, I don't you listen to. to the radio when you shower, when you I, are washing the filth off of yourself? I used to, and let me tell you, it made me really angry every time I did it. I had to time and like schedule my showers so that I would hopefully hit the period of the least commercials. Like I hate commercials so much. It's one of the reasons I hate watching things on live television. I don't do appointment viewing unless it's like a hockey game. And then I mute or change channels for the commercials. You can't do that on the radio while you're showering. What are you listening? Oh, wait. You mean like music? Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've listened to a station other than NPR or like some public radio station <laughs> for like 25 years. Never mind. <laughs> good um i like the podcasts i listen to are obviously like spoken discussion podcasts now now that yeah. we do this that like got me onto it but before that i was like radio is garbage live television is garbage why would anyone do this well i think that's probably like the specific reasons that you cite hating live television and radio are probably the reason podcasts have done so well it's pretty much the equivalent of like streaming media because you download it, you can time shift it, and there's usually not commercials. Yeah. And even if there are, like, most podcatching apps, like, have features where you can just skip over whatever the promotional content is. Or, I will say, like, exception. Sometimes the commercial is so short that I don't skip it if it's in a podcast. Um, or sometimes it's actually something that, like, I'm interested in hearing about. So, like, one of the sponsors of Canada Land is Canadian Journalists for Free Expression, and I like listening to that commercial because they tell you what they're working on right now. Yeah, and sometimes the commercials can be really funny because the actual hosts of the show are doing, like, a live bit with it. So yeah. you kind of have to listen to them be jackasses, and it's great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, the the landscape for podcasts in general, I think, has exploded to the point where I think podcasts have gone from being like just pretty common for a certain subset to incredibly mainstream with the advent of serial and a couple of other things. And I think the old timey radio drama mentality has even come back with um, things like G podcast theater and the message, which is their first production, which I recommend everyone check out if you like sci-fi, super creepy, or... really well done. Yeah. Or the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which I think is not producing episodes right now, but you can listen to their full back catalog, and it is amazing and features, like, a bunch of your favorite TV actors. Yeah, um, that's a very highly produced podcast. Yeah, it's super, I mean, it's big, big name actors in front of a live audience, but, like, doing mm -hmm. old-timey radio, which I love. Yeah. No, me too. It's a, I love audio. I really do love audio, and I wonder how much of it has to do with the fact that both you and I live in cities and both you and I walk a lot. Okay, so, so here's an interesting thing where this yeah. is like typical of our generation that we are like, I don't want to be talking to people in public. I want to be listening to something that like, it's not being played on speakers. It's like on my headphones, right? Yeah. Um, so you and I will listen to podcasts or music or whatever. Um, my parents' generation thinks that that is incredibly rude. And how dare you wear headphones on the subway? How dare you? <laughs> 
I honestly had to tell my dad, like, one of the reasons that ladies do that, even if they aren't listening to something, is so that they can pretend they can't hear creepy dudes saying creepy things to them. And he was like, how often could that possibly happen? Well, your dad is a rich white man, so... Yes. His version of the world is very different than ours. Yeah, he, like, did not understand that. Yeah. Um... Anyways, but we're diverting. So we wanted to, we started to do a little research back into the back channels to figure out like, what was the world like when we started? Because we couldn't think of anything more, you know, more appropriate to talk about in our hundred episode benchmark episode than to say like, what the fuck has happened in the past five years in fandom? And um, as soon as we looked at that topic, we started thinking about, the history of fandom in a much more broad context. <laughs> We've touched on some of this in the past, but we're going to do like a quick and dirty rundown of some of the greatest uh, decades of fandom. And then we'll talk more specifically about some of, you know, the things that we've covered in the past five years. But 1990s was the first emergence of really the online fandoms. Yeah. It was a beautiful time in my life. I, I think it was, I think it was, um, it was super like Pirates of Silicon Valley time, right? Because there was a very narrow subset of people who were doing their fandom activities this way. Because for the beginning of the 90s, not everyone even had internet access, right? Like only specific groups really had access to that. It was so limited and there was so little on the internet. Like one, the internet was incredibly slow. Like people who are, let's say 10 years or so younger than us, you have no idea how slow the internet was so slow yeah so you guys um who are listening to this who are 10 years younger than us you know how like there's a convention where you tell the word count of a story long ago far away when the internet just started it wasn't the word count of a story that you would attach to the file it was the kilobytes of the file like in text format, like plain text format, because people needed to make that decision whether or not they had the time to download your file if it was over like five kilobytes. Yeah. Sometimes I was like, ooh, do I have enough time to download like a 12 kilobyte file? That's pretty fucking big. <laughs> um, but But like literally the internet was so small and fandom on the internet was even smaller. So small that I used to hang out in an all-text, like, Sailor Moon chat room in the early 90s called Moon Chat. And nice. everyone in North America who was interested in Sailor Moon was pretty much in this chat room. So much so that, uh, like, 20 years later when I met um, my college roommate, we discovered that we had been in that chat room at the same time and had been friends in the early 90s. Yeah, it's the same way that like in the early 90s when I was doing X-Files, most of my activity was over like mailing lists, but like essentially Usenet, like mailing lists, right? Mm -hmm. um, Usenet and mailing lists. And like there was, it's like mind blowing to think about this now, but there was an X-Files spoiler mailing list. There was a single one. And this was like the first time that spoilers were a thing. And like <laughs> it was a self-selecting group of people who like specifically wanted X-Files spoilers and we participated in this mailing list about it. And there would be like rumors or like set reports from people who lived in Vancouver. Like the Canadians were our sources <laughs> on these things. Um, and 
I have a friend in Canada. She can tell me things. I know some fucking people in downtown Vancouver, guys. Like, this was the sort of thing that was going on. Like, the internet felt, like, really small and collegial. And you know, like, you know that whole, like, internet fear-mongering thing about, like, creepers and strangers on the internet? Like, that feeling didn't exist back then. Because in reality, every single person that you were talking to on the internet probably was, like, using a university telnet dial-up like they were some other person in academia or like using the internet at work and they were like everyone was like a regular fucking human being and everyone used their real name like we hadn't even hit the point where we used our identities like there is a ton of like I bet you if you go back deep enough into the Usenet archives of like X-Files you could find like teeny tiny child me posting under my real name that's on my fucking driver's license yeah on those archives talking about x-files spoilers in vancouver (laughs) the other thing like with usenet usenet was so weird because you had to connect to a special server in order to like access usenet like it was like you could get on the internet and then separately you had to do a whole other process to connect to it which is time consuming back in the 90s guys like um, I used to wake up, press the power button on my machine, take a shower, eat breakfast, brush my teeth, get dressed. And by the time I had done all that, Windows would finally be booting. <laughs> so like, imagine how long it took to connect to Usenet. And then I would be like, how much time do I have before school? Do I have enough time to download a five second AV clip of Sailor Moon? You and 100% would... did not have time to download a five second AV clip of Sailor no. Moon. No. It would take, like, sometimes I would set those up to go overnight. Yeah. It's the only way. Like, I, so basically, when I first started using the internet, I only had, I only had access to it through the auspices of the fact that both my parents worked in universities. Mm -hmm. So I would basically go on the internet all day over the summers um, because they would take me to work with them. And I would sit in the back of research labs just, like, fucking dicking around on, like, blue DOS Telnet boot-ups to the internet. like. Yeah, like reading fucking X-Files message boards. It was crazy shit back then. Um, But that was like early days. And then eventually, I think a lot of things shifted over to mailing lists. And then like the beautiful era of free websites came through with GeoCities as the granddaddy. Mm -hmm. Tripod, Angel Fire. I also had a BraveNet account. Did you remember that one? No, because, so I was, like, a pretty hardcore GeoCities user, and I used to real judge people who use, like, Angel Fire or Tripod, because all of the images would always be broken. I was like, chumps using Angel Fire. Well, I used, Bra- I think I used BraveNet or something like that, because it had better graphics. Mm. Like, the site just had more attractive graphics. And, like, even as a youth, that appealed to me. Like, I'm the sort of person who will, like, buy something, like, and then buy another one for the kitchen because, like, it's prettier. Like, <laughs> I own the most expensive French press in the world because it's attractive. Like, it's a minimalist Bowdoin thermal, like, ah, yes, this pleases me. It's, like, silver, and it's, like, it's a good shape, and I like it, and it was too expensive, but I like it because it looks nice. If you guys have ever walked into a Muji, that's, like... <laughs> what Prue's apartment looks like and if she had her way like what the whole world would look like it would be like oh my god Muji did everything or like a club Monaco I would be so fucking happy like my entire like okay so when MK Hoyden and I went to Tokyo (laughs) 
like we wandered into a massive, massive Muji in Japan. That thing which, was like, like six floors. It was so huge. And like Muji's in Japan have like stuff that like Muji's outside of Japan are not allowed to have because we're like not worthy of that level of badass Muji shit. So like that like literally me walking into that store was like hashtag aesthetic. Like I could have lived <laughs> in there. Like I did not want to leave. Everything about it was perfect. They had, like, the special futon bedding that, like, if I could, I I would want to own all of it. But it's, like, $200 per item. Oh, my God. It's so good. Oh. If only I wasn't, like, dirt poor from going to Japan to start with. <laughs> I know. We got um, there and I was like, I'm so poor and I want everything. I know. It was bad. It was brutal. I mean, at least we could eat like kings. That's right. Um, But, yeah. So, those were, those were, like, the Wild West starting days. Yeah. It's funny when I think back about, like, things that I thought happened much earlier than they actually did. Um, Like, did you know that fanfiction.net didn't exist until 1998? Wait, are you serious? I'm, like, dead serious. I really would have, you're right, I really would have thought that started earlier. Much earlier, yeah. But it did not. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, it seems so much older than a lot of the other infrastructure that apparently already existed before it, which is weird. But see, here's what I'm curious about then. So, like, this is a this is sort of like maybe an existential question, which we should plunge at a deeper juncture. But like, was fanfiction.net ever cool? Because I feel like fanfiction.net was something that like passed me by entirely. Because I started off my fanfiction um, reading on Gossamer and Fluky, like the dedicated massive X-Files archives, Mm -hmm. and also Ephemeral, which was like the auto archive that eventually fed into those things in which you could self-upload on. Um, And then I left fandom for a really long, well, I left fandom for a while, and then I was in anime fandom for um, a couple, for Rama One Half specifically, actually. And I wrote some stuff there, but that shit was primarily mailing list based and like some archives would pick it up, but there was not like a deliberate attempt to archive. And then by the time I came back to fandom, it was LJ based. See, that's like very different. So I had, um, I experienced a lot of it on like geo shitties and on like people's (laughs) whatever personal web pages that they built on the internet as part of a web ring. As part of a web ring, as you did in the 90s. <laughs> like like you do. <laughs> like you do. Um, I spent a lot of time on fanfiction.net, like, trying to find something good on there, which, by the way, is almost impossible. Like, for, a gr- for like, a site that has all these different levers and buttons to filter by, none of the filters actually do any of the things you want them to. No, you would be, like, digging and digging and digging. You'd be like, no, everything is garbage. So awful. <laughs> Um, the A Sailor Moon Romance website, which only updated once a week because someone had to hand code <laughs> all of the links hand manually. Code all the links. Like enter every link, like open bracket, A Hrf, whatever, like for Beautiful. like three hundred things or whatever that they would get a week, and I would roll through them in like you know two hours and then be fucked for a week. Naturally, naturally, and there was no sorting. Like it was just like here is a list of what. It was new. just like a raw data dump. Yeah, and you had to just, like, either learn people's names, hope they didn't change them, or, like, just click on every single story, which is what I did every week. Yeah, we did not change our names back then. Um, sometimes people added or removed things from their names. 
Okay, none of the fandoms I was in, pe- people kept their names. Um, like, my news. Yeah. All right. Maybe it was just your corner of Sailor Moon, but like, my, like, at least in Brahma one half fandom or like the Shonen fandoms that I was reading in, like, people usually held on to their names. Like, the weirdest thing for me ever is like wandering around fandom these days and occasionally seeing a name that I fucking knew from like <gasps> ages ago. For oh my example, God. Mustang Sally, who has been like in my life since I was 11. I don't know this woman from a hole in the ground, but she has been in X-Files fandom. Like I've known of her since I was like 10 yes. years old in X-Files fandom. And I'm like, I still see her name sometimes. I was like, oh, Mustang Sally is here. All is right in the world. There is someone in Teen Wolf fandom right now who is like writing stuff and wrecking stuff. And I remember them from like Sailor Moon and Ronmo one half. And I'm Amazing. like, holy shit, it's you. But that's what I'm talking. Like, that's the sort of good fanish continuity that I like. And I get it. Like, there's something to be said for having, like, the flexibility to completely discard your, like, to discard your identities. But, like, there's something really cool about, like, running into someone again, like, yeah. 20 years later and being like, holy shit, I know you. Sort of. Yeah. Like, I remember one time I was writing, like, I used to write a lot of house meta. And, like, I posted some house meta and, like, fucking Mustang Sally or something, like, left a comment one time. And I was like, oh, my God, I know (laughs) you. You and I both had strong feelings about David Duchovny once upon a time. (laughs) Like, we still do. But, like, it was great. It was great. It's so cool. Yeah, I made some really great friends in fandom back then. And, I mean, my username changed a little bit, but it was literally adding or removing a few things because somebody else was already Moonklets, and I was so mad. (laughs) I'm still a little bit mad. I'm like, who do you think you are? That's my Um, name. Considering this is literally the fourth time you've told that story on this podcast, yeah, we know you're still a little mad. Let's skip ahead to the early 2000s, where the first thing in this document that um, MK kindly put together was the rise of LJ. Do you remember when LJ needed an access code? Yeah, I had to, like, get someone to, like, it's almost like they had to recommend you. Like, you know, like, there were limited spaces on LiveJournal, and you had to be like, I'm cool, you should let me in. And they would, like, give you a code so that you could register. Yes. Do you remember who you got your code from? No. Really? I have a goldfish memory. Have you met me? That's true. I still remember who I got my code from. I got my code from Separus. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure, like, the person who gave it to me is like, how dare you? How dare you not remember? <laughs> and I'm like, I, should... I once forgot who my brother was for, like, a year, so real Good sorry. Good job, buddy. Good job. <laughs> it happens. Oh, Your brother doesn't deserve that. He doesn't know. It's fine. I really hope. I hope he never listens to this podcast. He's not allowed. His wife won't let him. That's true. She's allowed to listen and laugh at these stories, and he can just live in mystery forever. Um, and LJ was LJ dramatically changed the dynamics of fandom because it used to be that the production and the personalities were uncoupled. So like stories were put into like, even if stories were put into an author archive, the author would basically like curate their own little archive. And it wasn't really like blogging was a thing back then. Right. Like people didn't really blog. Um, So it wasn't like to read their stories. You had to interact with their personalities. 
But LJ, with the advent of LJ, you suddenly had the situation where you had to be, quote, friends with people to access a stream of their content. And it wasn't exactly like you could, like, blacklist their personal posts or whatever. So you suddenly became, like, fandom suddenly developed an additional layer of implied intimacy that I don't know was necessarily a good thing. Okay, so here's my thing. So we we have to go back slightly because what okay. people might not know is that prior to LJ and, like, outside of, like, message boards, which, like, not much fan fiction was posted on message boards, in order to tell someone you liked their story, you had to email them. You had to send them an email. You had to, like, give them your email by contacting them by email. And their email would be, like, included in their author's notes so that you could tell them you liked it or that you wanted more. Other unless, than that, it was, like, mailing lists. Yeah, unless you think that people didn't feedback. I got an enormous amount of feedback yeah. back in those days when people had to deliberately email you. And it was wonderful, you know? Like, people really went out of their way to be really kind to one another. It was really, really nice. Like, that sounds like in my day, but, like, it was... Well, whatever. Like, this is our fucking podcast. We can sit in our rocking chairs and, like, yell at the neighbor kids. <laughs> to get fanfic in my day, you had to walk uphill both ways in the <laughs> snow and connect to Telnet. You had to, you had to <laughs> dial up both ways in the snow. <laughs> On a 14-4 modem. That's a sound that everyone will know. <laughs> 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 God. Oh, but yeah, they had to like the, you had to have a conversation with them. Yeah. You so couldn't leave a shitty and non-comment. No, there was no such thing as shitty and non-comment. So Live Journal like changed everything because one, you had to experience their shitty blogging about their real life, which I'm an asshole. And a lot of the time I was like, I don't care. I wish you would make a separate fic journal because you post too much. <laughs> I, I'm that jerk, okay? I don't I was like, I'm here for a Wait, reason. MK. Uh, for those of you who just tuned in, MK stalked me for a while before she ever like began her campaign of being my friend. Did you ever think that I posted too much and wish that I would create a separate? Are you kidding? <laughs> you barely posted. I was like, when is she gonna fucking post so we can be friends? <laughs> this monster won't post things for this me to comment on. Fucking bitch is too busy not posting things on her live journal. How dare she? How dare it wasn't even your live journal. You had like glitterati.net. That was my that was my archive. Did you not have like a feed of your blog on that? Not really. I feel like you did, but I mean, you I had, know better than me. Yeah, well, I had, like, it's possible I did. But to be fair, I didn't really update it. I still use my live journal for most things. Um, right. And I think even back then I was really bad about organizing my fanfic and tagging things. Yeah, you Because, were. you know, you remember how, so LJ used to have this thing called, like, memories, where, like, you could create, like curated lists of your files because there were like tagging wasn't actually introduced onto LJ until fairly late um into its genesis but like people had like really well curated like all of my fan fiction all of my smallville fan fiction like if you were reading something I wrote like god save your soul because you would basically just not me (laughs) she did not keep records I did not keep records I did not keep track you would basically be left in this fucking like bitter dark like cruel ocean flicking endlessly backward in my like completely disorganized LJ looking for part three (laughs) so sometimes you would like you would post part one you'd be like part one this is NCIS it's Gibbs Dinozo whatever maybe I'll finish it maybe I won't and then like you would post a bunch of like whatever life posts 
And then you would get to part two and it would just be like one word from the title and two of question mark and then like go into the story. But you didn't say like what fandom it was or what was happening or like link back to the previous post. I'd be like, the fuck is happening? I'm doing this to hurt you. It felt that way. I mean, it should. This is like how I get personally offended when people are like not curating their blogs the way that I think they should. I mean, you're very invested in organizing information. Yes. And in my professional life, I am too. But as we've demonstrated time and again, that when it comes down to my relationship with fandom, my entire response is, meh. And I'm like, how dare you change your username? How dare you not tag this? Or your tags are wrong or useless? Like, what is this tagging system that you're using? What is the function of it? How do you (laughs) use it? Or like, so for those of you on the internet who have like cursed my name to the heavens being like, God damn it, Prue, your summaries are useless. And why do you refuse to tag for pairing? You don't have to worry about ever saying that to my face because this bitch on the podcast says that crap to me all the time. and It doesn't work. I just don't care. It literally doesn't work. You you can't change her. I've tried. She won't live up to my standards. I just don't give a fuck. The back button is one click. I hate it. I hate it so much. I'm sorry the whole universe isn't curated to your every fucking need for five whole seconds. Get over it. This is the thing where, like, this is how people become super villains. Like, this is like (laughs) shit where villains say on TV, and I'm like, I sympathize. (laughs) This is also why MK is not allowed to watch Dexter. Among other things. (laughs) Among other things. But so that was the rise of LJ, and then it was sold to the Russians in... The weirdest turn of events. It was sort of like a real surprise when that happened. Like some American company was like, ah, fuck it, sell it to Russia. And Russia, you might have heard. It was six apart, right? It was six apart. Yeah. Okay. But like, maybe you've heard that Russia doesn't like homosexuals or like a bunch of things. Or free speech of any kind. That's right. Which like was rampant on LJ. Yes. (laughs) One of my favorite things that happened after LJ was sold to the Russians just a weird thing to say is uh harry potter fandom was still really big i mean it's still big now but it was like you know big 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 time and uh there was a big harry potter convention that like a lot of people on lj went to and they were away and they were in like a hotel and there was limited internet and russia was like now is our time and just like started deleting all sorts (laughs) like anything they found that was harry potter because they were like that is child porn obviously obviously and it like did not matter what you had posted they were like boom it's gone and you would just see like people's usernames all of a sudden had a strike through they would come back and they'd be like um my journal has been deleted i have a paid account yeah good job guys russia fucking work assholes yeah Um, but like the other, like in terms of betrayals by platform, the live journal was really only the first of many betrayals that I think fandom has experienced. Yes. Um, I personally was less hurt by LJ. I like was very fortunate not to have been targeted during strike through. Um, however, the one that I think defined like my generalized suspicion and loathing for fandom Mm -hmm. was, uh, probably the, began here with delicious which was the very first web 2.0 site and fandom of course took it over fandom was like this is ours now See yeah ya. i mean it was amazing i mean talk about taxonomies like people really created these fascinating people um, were living by my rules 
yeah, people created fascinating, beautiful, curated collections for stories. I mean, it's where it's the reason why I think wrecking really fell out of favor in terms of like the traditional sense where people would like make a Rex post. Like it still happens, but it happened less because you could just go to that tag page on Delicious and see what had like been tagged the most in that fandom. I'm pretty sure Delicious is the reason that like there must have been a spike in people going into like um, archival studies or like information science studies because Delicious was essentially like a layman's version of archiving. Like people were- 100%. They're like really interesting systems that they created. Um, And previous to that, like, I don't know about you, but I hand coded a Rex website where like by hand I was posting that shit. 100%, me too. I had a Rex page that I maintained for a while called Better Than Cherry Coke. Nice. And some lovely fan person actually built me a layout for it, like a gorgeous layout for it. Because um, that was something I, people used to do. They'd be like, surprise, what, I built you this. Yeah, like built me a gorgeous layout for it, like surprise. And I would have to go in there manually and hand code like the new Rex onto it. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as I got delicious, I stopped doing it. Yeah, it. I mean, I tried for a while and then it I did, did not. not try for a while. I was like, no, I I built this. I have like domains. I'm going to know it's just not happening anymore. No, 100% no. Because you know, it's way easier than hand coding, typing things into boxes. Yeah. And it was also a great way to like generally crowdsource things, right? So if you created a link and you added your comment, you realized that like 800 other people had also created that link. You were like, okay, this is legit. This is like a really good rack. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was like, as an author, you could be like, I'm going to look up my story and I'm going to see in one place all of the stuff people said while recommending it to other people. Yeah, there. that's nice. I would also recommend maybe not for everyone. Okay, yes, not for everyone. Because people, like, I think recommend, like, the same way that, like, you were running into now with, like, AO3 recs and pinboard recs or, like, pinboard tags. They're really more tags and they're meant for the user who tagged them. So a lot of times people are like tagging with stuff that you may not find very complimentary and, or you might just find it baffling. Like sometimes I see someone bookmark something of mine on AO3 and like they've added a comment in their bookmark, but like the comment does not seem related in any way to the story. And I'm like, what does this mean? (laughs) Yes. So basically you're giving yourself the opportunity to be confused or upset. And I'm just saying, as someone who has been through the wars, maybe not the smartest idea to check that stuff. You know what is a war that you won't remember, but that was a BFD at the time? Let's hear it. The Great Purge. Oh, tell me about the Great Purge. I remember the word. I remember the name, the Great Purge, but I wasn't purged. So yeah, this wasn't for you. <laughs> um, the Great Purge. So like fanfiction.net technically did not allow or no so originally they allowed nc-17 stories or as we called them lemons <laughs> because that was how things I just, were back then i just got wine up my nose good that's, that that's, really hurt that's my goal is to make you snort wine this is, this is a portuguese verde why would you do that to me doesn't verde mean green yeah okay um I don't, I don't drink, guys. I don't know anything about the alcohol. 
You don't know anything about the alcohol? As evidenced by the time that Prue and Hoyden visited me, bought some wine, brought it back to my apartment, and then realized I didn't own a corkscrew. <laughs> it's worry. still in my apartment, this bottle don't of worry. wine. <laughs> um, anyways, so all of a sudden fanfiction.net was like, you know what? No more porn. And they just like deleted everything that was rated NC-17. Everything was gone. No warning. Like all of your comments, everything gone. Um, and so people fled and there was a different site called adultfanfiction.net and people went there. And then like after about a month, people realized that like nobody on fanfiction.net was checking if you were writing porn. <laughs> and as long as you just tagged it like mature instead of, I don't know, whatever, but you would fucking. probably be fine. <laughs> so it was, you know. It was an exciting time in early 90s fandom. Or I guess late 90s fandom, because it would have been after 1998. Still baffling. Wow. That's such a weird... Oh, I can't even imagine. Um, okay, simultaneous to all of this, neither of us really participated in this, but deviant art also became a thing in the early 2000s, and it still goes on today. Yeah, though I found deviant art really weird, because it's like hard to search. It's and- very hard to search. Like, even as a child, I was like, this user interface is unacceptable. Yeah, and I mean, the problem is that, like, it's 2016, and I don't get the sense that they've improved that user interface. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they have like, not. It, it's just, it's like, all, like, in terms of the most inscrutable, like, search functionality layout ever, the the gold star still goes to Pixiv, like, the Japanese fan art, like, yes. megalith. Like, which is, like, literally, you have to kill a man, like bring his still beating heart to a troll and then like fight a lion. And then you can find something on Pixiv unless someone is directly linked you to it. Um, but like DeviantArt is like getting there. To be fair, pretty much all web pages in Japan, like I've visited a lot of Japanese web pages. They're all terrible and they feel like they're still in the nineties. Like it has not changed over there. And I don't know why. I don't know. It's don't baffling. Know. Um, their superiority over us. Through yeah. like a difficult UX that just like baffles Westerners. They still have like, you know, people still really use flip phones over there. So there's some kind of like weird magic in Japan where they're like, yeah, we have bullet trains and like super advanced robots, but the internet and cell phones, those should stay in the past. Well, it's also like, it's also like, do you know that in South Korea, the dominant web browser is still Internet Explorer? Why? I don't know. Like you basically can't like, if you want to do anything on like a bank website or like most of their websites do not display properly on anything other than Internet Explorer. That's awful. It's just phenomenal. What a dream. I will say um, <laughs> I do. I did buy two things off DeviantArt that make me really happy, which are, you know, these the two uh, prints in my entryway of Wolverine fighting a T-Rex and then Wolverine having a cigarette on the T-Rex's dead body. Those are excellent uh, prints. And that is, I will say, the only good thing about DeviantArt. Very true. Um, So another thing that happened in the early 2000s, which, again, a thing that I would have thought started way long before this, Yuletide on 2003. I know. I was surprised at this. And I had sort of forgotten that it started on LiveJournal because, like, I wasn't, I didn't follow it until it was on AO3. I didn't follow it until, I didn't, not when it was on AO3, but when it had its own little, when it had its own domain. <gasps> oh, that's right. I did follow it on its own domain for a while. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that's before it got folded into AO3. But I didn't even know that it had existed pre archived Do you know what I mean? Like, I always thought it had its own archive. 
Yeah, me too. I was really surprised at that because I was like, domains are cheap. You know that, right? <laughs> well, not then. They were like $10 a year. Really? What What about the hosting? What about the rest of it? Uh, hosting was probably still about $100 a year, but $100 a year in 1990s money. That's still, that's pretty steep. Yeah. I mean, it was usually for me, it was like a birthday or Christmas present from someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which I, again, like that's something that I feel like has been around forever, but I can't remember it like pre a certain time point. So it becomes like sort of like a fandom utility, right? Like it's always been there. Con Ed will always be here pissing me <laughs> off with brownouts during the summer. Um, I don't know what just, that means, but sure. That's fine. All the people who live in New York, just like, you know, we had a moment of solidarity there. Okay. It's just really odd to think about like these things that have real longevity, but also are not that old. Like Yuletide is 13 years old. Yeah. Which it's, is a lot, but yeah. also not a lot. It feels like, you know, like when you meet people who were in fandom back when fandom was like mailing someone a zine. Yes. Or like mailing someone a VHS of your fan vid. Like I, I know feel many like of those people. <laughs> I know a bunch of those people and I'm like, didn't you have Yuletide and like fanfiction.net? Like, please tell me you had that. And they're always like, no. <laughs> I feel really like both sad and glad for them at the same time. But they had the purity of the time, but like <laughs> there were like, you know, there's pitfalls on every new platform. <laughs> Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in kind of the early 2000s was early, early, early scanlations yeah. in which someone would upload. They had not cleaned these at all, guys. They were terrible and they had like weird gutters on them because somebody didn't microwave them. Um, they would just like scan the manga, post the pages, maybe not in the right order, and then attach a text file. And the text file was the translation and you had to like have them up side by side or print out the text file and like read along and try to figure out which box which word went in oh see you're living the high life i read the entire inuyasha text translation archive without the pictures when i originally read the cherry project it was just a text file no pictures and i was like i guess i'll figure out what's happening sort of i th this is what's going on i'm just reading the dialogue and some very scant descriptions of what's happening on the pages Oh my god, a thing that I read with no descriptions of what was having, happening on the pages, which confused me so much, Hana Yuri Dango. Oh my god. It was literally like just dialogue and sound effects, and I was like, I think I know what's happening. Jesus Christ. Might explain I why I don't imagine. really like it. Well, I don't really like Hana Yuri Dango that much either, except for all the shit that it spawned. <laughs> Like, yeah. I will still love the crappy garbage show known as Media Garden until I die. So, like, it, for introducing me to my television husband. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I definitely remember watching uh, the Taiwanese drama, like, on VHS in my basement with friends in the summertime. That is correct. And uh, can you guess which one was my favorite? I don't remember that much about it because I was the person in the room who didn't particularly care. <laughs> legit. Legit. I Sorry. Mean, wasted opportunity for you to meet potentially the love of your life from one of the flower four, but mm. <laughs> I was more for us. Gacked. More more for <laughs> us. Just, yeah. Ugh. More for you. Although one of my friends in high school went to Japan for a year right after high school. Like the rest of us went straight to college. Yeah. And she went to Japan for a year. 
she bought me a fucking gacked clock. <laughs> like, it's somewhere still in my fucking apartment. I just don't know where. So, like, somewhere in my apartment is a clock of gacked and full gacked. Like, he's a peak yes. gacked in this image. And it's just, like, his stupid fucking, like, gackedness on a clock. And it's like, where is this damn thing? Because one day I'm going to die in some sort of hideous accident. And a firefighter cleaning out my shit <laughs> is going to come across it and be like, leave her corpse. She's a freak. Did you know that Gact is still doing stuff? Gact will always be Gact. He also, like, has so much makeup on that I can't tell if he's aged. Yeah, I don't, I don't. So, guys, Gact, if you don't know, is sort of <laughs> God, like a was, very was... shitty Japanese David Bowie. This would be, like, the weirdest conversation if you didn't know who Gact was. Because <laughs> I feel like we just use it as, like, a noun and a verb and an adjective all at once, <laughs> like, in a second. To be fair, that's how Gact you should is use the word so Gact. <laughs> Yeah. Um, if you don't know who Gact is, you might be better off just not knowing. But if you're curious, G-A-C-K-T. Yes, you're welcome. Sorry. Uh, definitely do not watch his movie where he is a slightly gay vampire? Um, Alien vampire? A lot gay genderqueer vampire? I couldn't tell. It, the movie was so awful that I couldn't watch <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Gact was ahead of his time and still terrible. Yeah. Well, that, like, that, the early 2000s was also, like, a time of, like, amazing Japanese pop stars. Like, I think that the early 2000s for me was, like, very anime heavy. Yeah. And therefore, um, well, maybe not, like, early 2000s, but, like, end of 90s, like, beginning of 2000s was like anime stuff for me so like I had like a lot of strong Utada Hikaru feelings yeah like I think at one point like I knew who like the Johnny's boys were mm -hmm. and like Hamisaki I still Yumi. yeah and I like I heard a rumor that Smap was gonna break up the other day and I still felt a little like oh my god no <gasps> not Smap I know yeah I used not to follow Smap. Arashi and I would watch like Dino Arashi and like Sino Arashi <laughs> All the Arashi alphabet shows. <laughs> so much Arashi. So they produced so much content. Many much Arashi. <laughs> so many Arashi. And do you remember when Lark Ostiel had a song on the fully CGI Final Fantasy movie? No, I remember when Lark Ostiel had Full Metal Alchemist opening song. And it was oh my badass. God. So when the final, so guys, you know, the Final Fantasy video game series, they made a very ill-advised full CGI <laughs> movie of that in the 2000s, like early 2000s, which was terrible. Like it was abjectly terrible in every way, but it was like pretty beautiful. And like the graphics were really, really advanced for the time. And that was like, everyone was so excited because it looked so cool. And then they went to it and they were like, this is garbage. And in the background, there was this song by, like, one of the biggest Japanese bands at the time, Lark on Ciel. And that song was the best part of the whole movie. I mean, at least there was something. Yeah. I mean, my friends and I kind of liked the soundtrack, and then we would be like, but that movie was terrible. Why didn't they just make a movie out of Final Fantasy VI or VII? Yeah, I mean, arguably, I would say the same thing about, like, that fucking weirdo vampire movie that Gat <laughs> Only, like, there was not even a good soundtrack to go with it. That's really depressing because Gact had some really catchy tunes in the 2000s. Okay, I've struck all, like, all of my memories of Gact are now clock related. I've struck <laughs> all memory of his music out of my brain. <laughs> I feel like as we're talking, I can, like, faintly hear Gact playing in the distance. 
<laughs> like he's oh, coming for me now. He's he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Um, he's always coming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about um mon- the rise of manga? Yeah, so I think like we've mentioned this a little bit before, but like you guys don't know how hard it was to get manga <laughs> or anime when we were kids. We like, sound was... so old. It's great. Yeah, this, this wasn't even that long ago, and I'm like, but it was impossible and really long, like so hard and so old. Um, I there was one store in the mall near my house that would sometimes have something sailor moon in stock like the bookstores did not carry manga you had to go to like a specialty store um and because i wasn't allowed out of the suburbs i couldn't go to like toronto and get stuff from like a chinatown or something um so like you would buy a volume of manga and it would be like 25 dollars of like early 2000s money which is like 40 dollars so now much. so much money so, so much money I would save up my allowance for like a whole month and that would maybe buy me one volume of Ranma. And I had to like get a ride to go buy it. Like I could not buy it anywhere near my house. I had to drive there. <laughs> um, but uh, with the help of scanlations and with the popularity on TV of things like Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball, um, all of a sudden people were like, holy shit. We can just, like, translate shit from Japan and make money in North America. And part of what happened is, like, some companies opened up, like, Tokyo Pop or whatever. And part of it was um, scanlation groups were like, we've been doing this for free, but if we save up a little money, we could probably buy the license for something and do it legit. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of scanlation groups split off and became real companies that were producing stuff out here. And, you know... Once that started, it kind of snowballed, which was great until Japan realized that people were like desperate to buy licenses for things. And so let's say that you went to them and you were like, we really want to license Honey Raidango. We want to put the manga out in North America. They were like, that's great. You can have it as long as you also buy the licenses for these five terrible things. Um, and if they didn't say yes, somebody else would definitely say yes. And then they had spent all this money on licenses for garbage. And so all of a sudden the market was flooded with absolute garbage, like things that did not do well in Japan and definitely were not going to do well in North America. Oh, my God. Like, I, part of me wonders if that's why Eerie Query got, like, published oh. in the U.S. I feel like there's a good chance. <laughs> Because, like, I liked Yuri Query, but definitely that probably shouldn't have been picked up. No. No. You liked um, Yuri? Never mind. We don't. I was pretty stuff. desperate for, for like, anything. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted content, Prue. You can't judge me. There was so little available. No, I, I know. I know, baby. We all make choices. We look back on and are like, oh, my God, I can't believe MK did that. Um, continue. <laughs> Thanks. Um... No, I feel like that's about it for that topic. Let's just say that, like, shit got dark real fast. Shit got dark real fast. And holy shit, that brings us to 2007, which, as our last episode with Betsy covered, was the founding of the OTW, and AO3 began in May of that year. That's right. That's when they registered the domains, according to Fanlore. Which I believe will be correct, because they also own Fanlore. Yeah, let's hope that Fanlore is correct about its own origin. <laughs> yeah. It's really strange now because in my head, I remember a pre 
AO3 world and a pre-OTW world. And it wasn't bad, but it certainly wasn't centralized. And over the course of these, you know, however, like, oh my God, nine years, mm-hmm. nine years, I guess, um, AO3 has become an indispensable, like, cornerstone of fandom. Yeah. It's it's where I go all the time. It's one of my most visited sites. I can't imagine not having AO3 now. Yeah, I mean, like, I've ported all of my stuff over to, well, like, with the exception of, like, one story that I've literally forgotten to move on to AO3. Quote, forgotten. I, like, literally, someone, oh my god, it's so bad. Someone asked me about this the other day. They were like, can you put, like, uh, Sky Full Up on AO3? And I was like, huh, I forgot I wrote that story. (laughs) I should probably get on that. I put a few things that were old. Like, I put some of my SGA stuff on AO3, but I was like, I'm not going further back than that. If you want that, that's your own bad decision. Well, thankfully, AO3 rescued the Smallville Slash Archive, which housed all of my, like, pre-AO3 fic that was on an archive that wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. And I went through, like, a dark weekend of the soul where I just, like, fucking uploaded all of my shit onto AO3. Apparently, with the the exception of, like, the ones... Like, I... I'm so sorry, guys. I completely forgot I wrote this story. I forgot that it existed. And now we have to play a game where I have to check my files to see if I still have it. Ha! Sorry. Ha! There's, I just won't have stuff. It's just gone. <laughs> it's just gone forever. Um, one of the things I thought was really interesting, so like SGA, when did SGA start? Was it like 2005? Um, hold on. Let me make Fanboy tell me. Yeah. Guys, uh, SJ was 2004. a wonderful... 2004. So I was not far off. Um, so SGA was on like 2004 through, I want to say 2009. 2009. Right? It was yep. five seasons. Four wonderful seasons and one terrible season. <laughs> As we all know. Um, and... I don't know if you remember this, but, like, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a big fucking deal in SGA fandom. It was huge. It was, like, 90% of the fanfic in SGA was somehow either predicated on, involved, or, like, seriously name-checked. Yeah. Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Yeah. I think you have to explain Don't Ask, Don't Tell uh, because some people might not know because it's been, like, six years. Which is amazing. Like, what a blessing to live in a post-don't-ask-don't-tell world. So essentially, this was, like, a terrible policy decision that was um, enacted after, like, a series of, like, sorties during the Clinton era. Clinton was a president that we had. Um, <laughs> who, played the sa- who played the saxophone? That was a terrible impression. I'm so sorry, Mr. President. Who played the saxophone um, was the South's beloved son and is the husband of Hillary Clinton, who hopefully, knock wood, is going to be our next president. Um, and essentially during his, um, during his administration, the, like every year, like every couple of years, the questions of gays in the military would come up and the official rule had always been, you know, like root them out, throw them out for unit, like unity or something. And during the 90s, this policy was enacted, don't ask, don't tell. So basically, you could be gay. You just couldn't act gay, publicly express yourself. And um, they were 
supposedly not supposed to investigate you, but obviously, like, that still happened. It was an appalling policy, and eventually it was one of the major policy moves that Obama made after the Bush years was to enact legislation to end Don't Ask, Don't Tell, finally. And that that came at the tail end of Starry Atlantis fandom, and, like, in literally a pen stroke, like, wiped out the premise for hundreds of thousands of stories. It was one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was, like, a huge trope, and you don't see it anymore, because literally this policy doesn't exist, and so people are like, well, why would I care about that? Why would I write about it? It also, rereading stories that are written under the auspices of that feels very off now. Oh, it feels off, and it feels so old and outdated. Like, even if they're not that old, I'm like, (laughs) what's wrong with you? That is just, like, mm, irrelevant. Yeah, it just feel it's it was really remarkable and it was the first time I'd seen something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The thing is and so I, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking that I can't think of another situation where anything similar to that would happen. Mm-hmm. Like it would have to be something like so system like and for it to specifically like affect fandom in such like a massive and visible way. There's would be really one thing. difficult. Do tell. Um So in Canada, we've had gay marriage for a long time, and in many other countries we have. But, like, when a bunch of the states recognized gay marriage, or at least civil unions, that started, like, a big trope in fandom. I still see, like, a lot of that. I don't know. I feel like it's different because gay marriage was such a trickle effect. So, like, we had civil, like, certain states had civil unions for ages, right? Like, so depending on where you were, like how liberal your local state and government were, there have been civil unions for ages. And then as gay marriage, like came as gay marriage was fought, it was a state by state battle until they eventually got up to the Supreme court, which made it the law of the land. But because it had already been such a pervasive thing that had permeated the culture and like was the law of the land for so many people in so many different states, it didn't have the same impact, right? Like Mm -hmm. to fandom. It wasn't like overnight, like the wave changed. Like maybe for me, the way that I read it is I bet people who really liked writing and reading Don't Ask, Don't Tell fic maybe moved on to like gay marriage or civil union fic. Because it was like I don't, a similar. I don't think those are similar. You don't think at all. so? To me, no. they are similar. They are not similar. Anyways, that is like a, a trope that doesn't exist anymore. It's just gone. It's gone, and it's so, it must be so strange to be reading SGA now. Well, we've gotten a couple. Like, huh? Yeah, we've gotten a couple asks in the past where people are like, "I just discovered SGA fandom, and I'm gonna start now." And I'm like, "Ooh, it's gonna be weird for you." Like, yeah, I wonder if you guys, if you're one of those people who like recently discovered SGA fandom, like, is it weird? Like, does it feel strange to be like seeing all of these references to a thing that just like truly is gone? I can't even imagine. I don't know. Maybe it's not that hard. Maybe it only seems weird to us because we were there for it and we're old. No, I think um, this is like a thing where like when you look back at fic that has been written even like five years ago, which I did a lot of in preparation for this podcast, um, <laughs> because the language of fandom changes so often and so frequently, like even like within one fandom or from fandom to fandom, like the way that people write there was like a style that was very popular in SGA. There's a style that's popular in Supernatural. You know what I mean? 
when I go back and try to read things, I'm like, this feels so dated and weird. Like, it's a good story, but, like, all I can think is, like, this was popular then and I would not read it now. I don't know. I guess my opinion on this is sort of different than many people's just because I've written in all of those fandoms. And, like, I, this is really sad. I had to go to my fan lore page to check, like, how many fandoms I've written in. And the answer is just many. I've written in a lot of fandoms. Like, my most infamous, like, drive-by was when I wrote, like, probably one of, like, two fanfics ever written for a CW show called Jack and Bobby, which is canceled after, like, five episodes. Good. So, and I, like, felt compelled to write fanfiction about that. And, like, when I first started writing Bruno and Boots fanfiction, it was, like, me and one other pervert on the internet. Like, thankfully, (laughs) other people have joined us since then. It's still a small but dedicated group of perverts. But it's more than just me and one other person. Kel, I love you for being there for me at that time. But, like, (laughs) I guess that, like, I don't necessarily... Like, I feel like the change in, like, um, writing style in fandom is not necessarily a fandom to fandom thing so much as a function of time period. And this is a question that we actually got separate to this episode where someone wanted us to talk about um, writing styles within fandom, which is definitely a topic that we can revisit at a future juncture because I think that it deserves more conversation than it's going to get here. But I think that the differences that you'll see are far more significant if you compare a fandom like Due South or Sentinel, which started, you know, long ago, mm-hmm. to something if you compare late Stargate and Hawaii Five-0, something see, like that. Even thinking like if you let's say that you like me, uh are looking up like a bunch of Star Trek fic. Um, you can immediately tell if you have accidentally clicked on something that is from original Star Trek versus reboot Star Trek. A hundred percent. But I think that that has a lot more to do with the passage of time than the different fandom. I think some of it is the passage of time. And I think some of it is you, fandoms almost develop like what I would call like a fanon voice. There are like certain phrases that become popular in specific fandoms, or there are like, uh, ways that dialogue is done in certain fandoms and it is like the way that fans have interpreted canon it is not necessarily the same as canon but it is like what they picked up on and took out of it I guess you're right I mean I don't I guess I notice that part less because I'm generally not doing any sort of critical reading on fan fiction. Like I treat fan fiction very much the way that I treat romance novels in the sense that I adore them and they just make me happy. So I'm reading with an uncritical eye pretty much nonstop. Um, but that's a really interesting point. I'll have to I'll have to think about that as I'm reading other things to see if I can pick up trends. I mean, I know that there are certain tropes that reoccur, but in terms of actual linguistic pattern, like I hadn't thought about that before. Although maybe I'm just not thinking about that because I'm a writer and I don't want to feel like <laughs> I sound like everybody else in a fandom. But who knows? I very much am probably at mercy of the same influences that everybody else is. I try to be um, conscious when I write to like avoid certain phrases that I've seen a lot that I'm like, no, that's, that's now a fan and cliche. Yeah. I just don't, I don't have the fucking energy for this. It's the same <laughs> way I'm going to tag. I'm just, uh, just going to get jizzed out on this page and everyone better enjoy it or not. And that's absolutely fine. You. Whichever way you want to go. <laughs> hate you so much. <laughs> uh, it's fine. You're safe because we haven't been in the same fandom for like a decade. 
I feel like it's gonna happen. It's gonna be real bad for me. How is there? It's impossible. My current fandom is literally Hannibal and watching Criminal Minds with zero intention of ever writing or reading anything from Criminal Minds. Hannibal, which I am not allowed to watch for reasons aforementioned in this podcast. And Criminal Minds, the show I stopped watching because even though I lived several flights up, was like, there could be a murderer outside my window right now. That show is fucking terrifying. Although, it's very disturbing, but I'm not actually scared of serial killers. I'm not scared of serial killers. I'm afraid of, like, everything else on that show. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay, so that was Don't Ask, Don't Tell in the 2010s the other major seismic shift that MK and I like will be angry about until the day that we die (laughs) was delicious. The thing with delicious is like they had such a good thing going and I don't blame those guys for selling it. Somebody was like, we'll give you millions of dollars or was it like a million and a half? I think it was like a million and a half. So basically the question it's like, the thing about Delicious is that you can't even just be like, I can't blame them for selling it because it wasn't even just that they fucking sold it, right? So the original owners of Delicious during the very first wave of Web 2.0 understandably sold to Yahoo for a pretty penny, which made sense because they were really the first time, like it was the first time anyone was getting sort of like Web 2.0 data, like from tagging, like social data from anything. What an amazing resource that had a built-in user base. So cool. And like Delicious lived at Yahoo for like almost a decade, right? And completely ignored. And here's the thing, Yahoo was also running Yahoo Bookmarks, which was essentially their clone of Delicious, but they didn't Except it didn't work. It didn't work. They didn't merge the user bases. They didn't like try to make that one platform. They just left it there. Yeah, exactly. So it just like it just stagnated and it was fine. Like as long as no one fucked with Delicious and it still worked, we were all fine with that. Until Yahoo decided to sunset Delicious, which like sent the first wave of people panicking looking for alternatives and like that was the time you and I both bought our pinboard accounts. Yep. And then after um after a brief period of like interstitial safety, they sold it again to the group of people who had like started YouTube, but clearly didn't know what the fuck they were doing with delicious. And the site, site, like that was the weirdest day ever. Cause I got like, I woke up and literally the first thing I did every morning was like drink so much coffee and check delicious. And it was broken. Like delicious was not only just broken, but like the entire interface had changed completely overnight. There had been no, forewarning that they were doing this and they had broken every single thing that made delicious functional people were furious it was abject panic and that was the second wave of users who like took down pinboard i just thought the pinboard guy was like here take my money please take my money save us the pinboard guy was like okay okay weird fangirls on the internet but they're giving me their money so uh i guess i'll just make this more user-friendly for them. What do you want? And we were like, uh, we want a couple things, but we're not used to being treated like this. This is weird. Well, the really beautiful thing about this, and we should link this on the page, was Pinboard Guy's um, speech, his like actual talk that he gave about the great delicious exodus and fangirls on the internet. 
Because essentially what happened was after the second wave exodus, tons of people had ported all of their like desperately clutch links over to Pinboard. But Pinboard is meant to be a very stripped down version. Like it still does not have all of the functionality that Delicious used to have. And there's still lots of functionality that Delicious used to have that I genuinely miss. Um, But, you know, Pinboard is a good is a good alternative. It's the best alternative out there, even though it's a pay site and like all this other things. So the difference is that Pinboard was not meant to be social at all. So like it's all literally the, called antisocial social bookmarking. Exactly. So all of the systems that we were using on Delicious to sort of like engage with one another were completely gone. So there was no way to subscribe to tags. There was uh it was difficult to see networks. It was difficult to see um there were just like lots of user functionality issues that were like dropped. Like you couldn't see how many bookmarks something had. That sort of issue. Yeah. Um so essentially, after like this fucking population of emigrated linkers came to Pinboard, this poor dear man foolishly asked all of his incoming fangirls, like, there's, you know, he's a one guy operation, like he's the only one who works on the site, was like, well, it's possible that I could build some functionality out for you guys. What do you want? And pretty much overnight, fandom created like an annotated indexed searchable (laughs) google doc like a Um, giant google doc like it was enormous like incredibly meticulously organized google document listing our desires and desired uh functionality and to be fair we got most of what we wanted yeah i'd say we got like a lot of the big stuff he was just like okay it's done here you go yeah, exactly. We were not used to that. So I think that made people a little more comfortable with paying him to use the service. Like you only have to pay once, but people not were anymore. still Oh, really? Wait, no. Yeah. Archival accounts. No, now it's a ones... yearly. What? Yeah. I don't think I've paid <laughs> yearly. No, we don't have to because we were in before that. Oh, but new people. Haha. <laughs> so suckers. if you want to mean so if you want to open a pinboard account now, you do have to pay a yearly fee. Amazing. We paid like six dollars. Yeah. For life. Yeah. Pays to get in early. It's pretty great. <laughs> okay, now you're just being a dick. Yep. Um one of the other things that happened not that long after this is like Tumblr started to happen. Let me play the funeral dirge here. <laughs> because this is the worst thing that's ever happened to fandom. This is okay, but here's the thing I find really interesting. So we mentioned earlier that if you wanted to download like a five second AV clip of Sailor Moon on Usenet back when we were kids, it would be like an overnight thing and you still might not get it because yes. the, the internet was so slow. And now that would be like a GIF that would load, load in like two seconds or less, probably less. I know that your entire argument for your affection for Tumblr is GIFs, but like A, I'm not super attached to them. B, I think that they're endemic of the larger problem of media consumption, where people clip out these, like, tiny out-of-context pieces that have, like, no relationship to the larger reality of a thing. Like, and on, like, a fanish level, irrelevant. It doesn't fucking matter. Do whatever makes you happy, right? Like, whatever floats your boat. But on the other hand, it's also the reason why there are people who, like, are in Teen Wolf fandom who think that Derek and Styles were the main characters and actually had anything even approaching, like, chemistry 
of any kind. Whereas apparently in the actual show, they barely talk to each other and have like no relationship. But just because of the way that the proliferation of their tiny scenes could be reinterpreted through these, like, through okay, this hold medium. on, hold on. Have you even watched Teen Wolf? Have you? That's I've the watched, whole point. Like, I've watched like you four watch or five like episodes. four episodes exactly. They were I mean, the Derek like, and the... Styles episodes, so I'm fine. He all he did was fucking beat him up. I, it no, doesn't, like, it doesn't. I don't want to talk about this. Like, I so don't want to talk about this. But I'm like, not even it, sure we should talk it, about Tumblr because we've had this conversation a lot. This is not a conversation we have. It's a fight that we end up having, right? Because I hate this medium so much. It would be completely. I actually created a Tumblr like years before it became the Fanish landing pad. I had a Tumblr back when like the site was somehow even more of a hipster douche nozzle place where it was literally just like weird photographers. <laughs> so like back that explains then, like, why you were there. Yeah, that's why I was on Tumblr. But like, so essentially I had a Tumblr so I could like look at fucking Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like weird hit record shit and like photographers <laughs> that I was following and stuff. Um, and then like fandom arrived here and it's just like, it's a, it is a medium that makes it impossible to have a conversation. And it is a medium that allows untalented people to become popular. And that is why people like Tumblr so much. I will say it again. I stand by it. Tumblr sucks. And I cannot wait until something better comes along or we all move. Or you know what? Maybe we never move. But this is also why like people, I'm sure that some people are like, We're definitely going to really move. Well, some people were probably like, Prue never really posted that much on, like, LiveJournal. She, like, never posts anything on Tumblr unless it's to, like, announce that, her, like, a new chapter of her story has gone up. And it's because it's impossible. Like, there's literally no point. There's no way to have a conversation there. Text is the enemy of that platform. Text is the primary thing that I do in fandom. And, like, if you guys want to talk to me, like, come to my Twitter. Like, that's where I have conversations all fucking day long. And you can keep track of my alcohol consumption, be it, too. I just, like, hate that medium so much. It's, like, flames. Flames. Flames on the side of my face. I know. There are things I don't like about it. There are things I like about it. But clearly I like it more than you do. So we should move on. I feel like almost any, like, almost anybody likes Tumblr more than I do. So, in 2011, this podcast was born. I just did, like, a weird sunrise motion, but you can't see it because this is audio. <laughs> generally, like, this podcast was born. It was generally accepted that that was a mistake. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. We threw some shit at GarageBand, and now we're here. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, the interesting thing about it is that, do you remember when we did our very first episode, we named it Slash Cast? And it turns out Slash Cast already existed and was a thing. It did! It totally existed! We just didn't know about it. So, like, we have one episode that we called Slash Cast, and then we, like, realized that Slash Cast already existed. So, we came back with our typical suave, and our second episode was like, Surprise! We renamed it! Because Slashcast already existed. But the conversation where we renamed it was, like, one of my favorite things ever because we were talking about it. We were, like, spitballing some names. We were, like, doing our thing where you and I are, like, working through, like, the branding of the thing. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If we call it Slash Report, we can just put a forward slash in front of report. And you were, like, sold. Done! Because we're so lazy. (laughs) It also made us... Almost impossible to search for in many ways. 
oh my god I have a feed that like alerts me to when people are talking about the podcast and it brings up a lot of shit that is not about the podcast because <laughs> of course it does yeah because we were geniuses when we were branding this <laughs> but it's like not just that like I've gotten things about like guns and roses and like of course of course I mean to be fair I think that by when we were doing that we did not anticipate the breadth and length of this project uh no I thought I kind of thought that we would do like I don't know a couple episodes and then we would like forget about it and go on to something else yeah or even like we would do one occasionally like in a yeah. in place of like writing meta on an episode we would do an episode of slash report at some point you know and even the name betrays how limited our initial understanding of this podcast was because that's we not all we talk about <laughs> We don't talk about Slash that much at all, really. Like, aside from the fact that it is our fandoms are primarily Slash fandoms, it's not really the primary focus of this podcast, and it hasn't been for a very long time. Yeah, it's weird, right? We were, uh, we were so young. We were so naive. We were fools. Fools. Whatever. It worked out. It, as, I, as always, we failed upwards. We, we failed some words. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was sideways. yeah, it was definitely a learning process. MK name checked the fact that we got kicked off of our hosting, which was still one of the funniest things that ever <laughs> happened. We were like, nobody's going to listen to this. And they were like, um, too many people are listening to this and we have to cancel your account. And I was like, but I paid for unlimited hosting. And they were like, yeah, it's not that. Yeah. Unlimited. It was one of those moments where I wanted to be like, what does the word unlimited mean to you? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, and the funny thing about that is, like, we had a fraction then of the listeners that we have now. Yeah, which is stats that I'm going to force you to pull in a second. But, um, no. you know, in a quick laundry list of some fandoms that were big in over the course of the time that we've done this podcast, you know, BBC Merlin, Leverage, Hawaii Five-O, it was the explosion of BBC Sherlock. Um, Inception was a huge thing uh suits was a thing um we saw the end of white collar fringe yes good wife we still briefly cared about ncis bt doves mk we are gonna have to watch the last episode dinozos on and talk about it okay i know alpha beta omega was starting to become a thing and neither of us read it at that point no, we actually got a really good ask where someone was like, I'm listening to the first episode and both of you were like, ew, nodding, we would never read that. And now we've like both written nodding. Yeah, we've both like clearly gone down that train wreck hole. So like, why not? <laughs> why um, not? It was, just, it was a time and a place. Uh, but before we got, so one of the parts of this episode, we really wanted to dedicate some time to like this whole concept of like, Spanish memory and Spanish experience. So we solicited the earliest Spanish memories that you guys had, and we have some really funny ones coming up. It's all really good stuff. But before we get to that, uh, we gave MK a mission, which was to look up what our top 10 episodes were. And I'm super curious as to what these were. Um, I don't know how to tell you this. Okay. I failed at that message. Uh, <laughs> Oh my god. Because here's the thing, we didn't have Google Analytics until like season 3. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, remember I like I looked up Google Analytics and I was like this is what it says, but that can't be right. It, so to it the can't best be of right. our ability. 
to the best of our ability, what seems to be some of our top episodes? Um, the K-drama one, it thought was, like, the number one episode of all time. <laughs> what? Yeah, like, one of our first, like, a pretty early, at least, K-drama episode, they were like, that is, like, everyone has listened to your K-drama episode, and I was like, that can't be right, but okay. I mean, if it is right, then I'm really sorry to all of the people who listened to that episode, because I'm sure your lives were ruined when you went and listened, watched some K-drama afterward. It's also just a thing where I'm like, but, like, this is why I'm confused, right? Because I'm like, but I know that only a portion of our listeners care about K-dramas. Yeah, but I don't think people pick and choose topics. I think they do. I don't know. Who knows? Do you guys pick and choose topics? Do you listen to everything that comes through on this feed? I don't know. Like, because I, I, like, you and I have a completely different understanding of this because we have to listen to the podcast. Yes. But, like, other people don't. So, what happens? Who knows? Okay, so other than K-drama. Um, Teen Wolf, obviously. Um, we are, like, 90% sure that that was actually a huge fucking episode. <laughs> because, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but at that time, again, we didn't have Google Analytics. We had, like, a different kind of analytics that were, like, not They were quite... shitty analytics. Yeah, they were pretty shitty, and they were provided by our host. And it was just, like... Basically, everyone on the face of the planet has listened to you embarrass yourselves this week. Congratulations. I did not embarrass myself. I made a matzo ball soup, and it was delicious. Good. Good. I'm glad it that you feel that way. Of me, it started the tradition of my presence being a protest, and my, like, cooking audibly in the background. <laughs> the podcast is, like, the most unprofessional way to be like, ugh, I don't want to be here for this. I would just like a sound effect for like angrily cooking in the background. <laughs> Let me get some pans. I'll like make this happen for you. Yeah. Um, okay, that makes sense. Teen Wolf. Um, both Hannibal episodes quite popular. <laughs> you perverts. Yeah. You people eating perverts. Um, Kingsman. So again, perverts. <laughs> the good kind. Um, and Captain America and the Winter Soldier, because that's a huge fucking pairing still. Ah, so strong and so good for me. I can't wait until Cap 2 happens. All I hope is that Steve dies in Bucky's arms right after Bucky has remembered who he is. It is just not my pairing, and I, like, I, I get why you are interested in it, and, like, I tried to make a vid and then, you know, my hard drive fried, so, like, I'm the only person who will ever have a copy of it because it's on my phone. <laughs> um, unfinished, by the way. It's, like, a rough cut. <laughs> but, uh, I just, I don't, I don't get it. It's fine. It's, like, that, that's okay, but, like, that one's for me. You're also the person who likes Darcy fanfiction, so, like, you and I have very different Marvel tastes, I find. Yes. Yeah. Yes. True story. Um, should we look at some of our asks? Oh, no, wait. Actually, I have a thing that we should talk about first. Okay, hit me. What is the thing we should talk about first? Um, I have two things. One is somebody did a breakdown of, they only looked at Teen Wolf fandom, and I found this really interesting. What percentage of fan fiction in the Teen Wolf category on AO3 got, like, how many kudos? Because we have talked before about, like, people don't comment enough and people don't give kudos enough, and that is now the currency of fandom. Is it? Um, I mean, essentially, right? I don't you're, know. My relationship with feedback is very strange. You're either producing stuff or you're 
telling people that you like it or telling other people that you like it, I feel. And if you aren't, then you're not contributing. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, that's my general agreement too. But I guess I just don't really look at the stats that much. Because I was trained to read fan fiction during, like, the wild data dump days. So yes. the same way that you would read the entire Sailor Moon fan fiction archive, <laughs> I will literally go to, like, a show tag and just start picking shit at random. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's how I experienced Lois and Clark fandom too, eh? There was one Lois and Clark archive and I would be like, let's click on everything that's new today. Let's go. It's time. Let's go. Let's do this. Um, but to give you just like an idea, under the Derek and Styles tag, um, stories with 10,000 kudos, there's only 18 stories. And this is like a, a big fucking pairing on AO3. 6,000, mm-hmm. there's um, 108. And if you want to go 2,000, uh, it's like 3% of the Derek and Styles tag has 2,000 kudos. So, like, in general... But see, pre- I mean, but, like, the question that I have to that is, like, what are the benchmarks against, right? Like, is that actually bad? Is that actually good? Like, that doesn't really tell me anything. I don't know, Because those are numbers I... in isolation, like, compared to other things. Like, what does that mean? So I think, like, the thing to me that is interesting is that, like, 0.04% of Derek and Styles fics have 10,000 kudos. So either... Maybe only 0.4% of Derek and Styles fics deserve 10,000 kudos. Well, that's the question, right? Is it that only that many are good? Or is it that, like, a lot of people just don't give kudos? Or, Anyways. I mean... I don't know. Right. I, I, I just think that, like... Those numbers, it like I would need to know like what is the average amount of kudos given on the like in any given fandom is before mm. any of that becomes because like there's nothing to compare against. It's something I would like to know though. Like I would find that really interesting. Like if someone from AO3 is listening and they want to take on a stats project for us, please go ahead. And <sighs> otherwise, you can just be like, "What an asshole that MK is." Moving on. Well, I also think that it's important. I also think that it's important to think about the fact that many stories are so. Like, I think that kudos. You have to. Oh my god, I'm getting so nerdy about this. But like, <laughs> if you look at kudos, you have to view them as sort of like unique user hits, which are always going to be less than your page views, right? Yeah. So because, because you can re-read. only technically leave kudos once as long as you're signed in. I guess you could log out and be a guest and leave like an anonymous kudo, but I don't really know that many people who would like go through the trouble. Some people will um, go into an incognito window and do it. Which, fine, whatever. Let's assume that most people probably don't do that because it just seems most like a lot don't. of work. Yeah, it just seems like a lot of work. Um, and you also have to consider the fact that there are many, many stories that are multi-part stories, mm-hmm. which were probably posted in progress. So, yeah. mi- like, is kudos the best way to, like, measure this? Because it seems like the best way to get a lot of kudos is to post one story that's, like, of just the right length, of just the right pairing, of just the right content, all in one go. Like, collect the largest possible swath of the first hits. But, like, what about in terms of you know, in terms of actual readership numbers, right? Like, what about views or, like, total hits on the story? I don't know. I think that there's, like, a lot of ways to interpret it. Oh, see, the way you're looking at it is different than me. You're looking at it, like, what is the best way to get kudos? And I was looking at it as, like, it doesn't matter if you look at it and you think your kudos are low because so few stories get the kind of kudos that maybe you think stories are getting. So, I mean, I think it's definitely the statistical analysis on feedback, I think would be really interesting, but it would, you're right. It would have to be done 
on a fandom by fandom basis just because we all know like there's so many different like maybe getting like five kudos in one fandom is like huge because like the actual fandom is not that large yeah versus like you to really make a significant drop in the pond like for something massive like a juggernaut like teen wolf you would have to get a lot more but i think it would require like a lot more sophisticated modeling than you know we have just by looking at some numbers because also thousand seems like a big number 10,000 like I think 10,000 is a big number I think that's like anyways the point is you and I are terrible at math but it is something that I found interesting and I'm gonna link to it on the episode page I'm terrible at math I'm not terrible it's trends (laughs) I'm terrible at math and I have dysnumbria so okay well I'm terrible at math I probably have some sort of math learning disability but I am pretty good at data um so I think it's interesting I don't think it's conclusive Oh, it's not conclusive it's, at all. It's not conclusive. I don't think it even implies anything. It's just interesting. It's just a thing that I found interesting. Okay, a different thing that I found that I think is pretty cool, um, because technically this episode was supposed to air in 2015, but you and I, our lives were so fucked up that it wound up being 2016. Surprise! Woohoo! Um, is at the end of 2015, I found a post called 2015, A Statistical Year in Fandom, which flagged some of the highlights of 2015, like what was big on the AO3. Okay. So the biggest fandom, like the most active fandom on AO3 in 2015 was Supernatural, which actually really surprised me, followed by Dragon Age, the video game. Hmm. Right? Surprise. Uh, Harry Potter, still huge. Teen Wolf, still huge. Avengers, Sherlock, whatever. Um, there were a bunch of new fandoms, including Haikyuu. Do you know Haikyuu? I've heard of Haikyuu. So it's like the gay volleyball anime? Yeah. I tried watching it, but animation quality is so low in Japan right now that a lot of it was just like audio over a still frame, and I was like, I can't do this to myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, the most active ship, like, by far on AO3 in 2015, still Castiel Dean Winchester. Hell's fucking yes. They have a profound bond and everyone knows it. Most popular femme slash pairing was Regina Mills slash Emma Swan. Oh my god, the Swan Queen people are so intense. Yeah, uh, number four was Cora Asami, which I love. Um, and number five was Peggy Carter slash uh, Angie Martinelli, which I think like Agent Carter fans will be pretty happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, female male, the Lammy Blake slash Clark Griffin. I don't know what that's from. Uh, I don't know either. So mystery. Um, and the top two male male like slash pairings are Castiel Dean Winchester and then Derek and Styles. <laughs> Good. Yes. Oh, also Naruto still weirdly happening. I it's so intense. Like I don't I mean, it's happening on fanfiction.net to be clear. <laughs> Harry Potter and Naruto are still the two biggest things happening on fanfiction.net, but they are still happening is the point. Uh, I yeah. I don't know what to do with that information. I just thought I would share that with you as, like, a look back. Beautiful. You're welcome. I just... Fucking Naruto. (laughs) Fucking Naruto. Fucking Naruto. But you know what? Us going all the way back is good. Because it kicks us off for when we asked for memories of first... Like, your first Spanish memory. And guys, some of these are absolute (laughs) winners. 
so great. Um, MK, do you want to alternate reading these with me? Yes. Yes, I okay. do. Okay. I will start first. This one is from um, IV0611. My earliest fandom memories are a bit hazy, but they involve mid the mid-90s. A lot of terrible GeoCities Angel Fire sites, including a few of my own. Hells yes. Web rings, quote, story pages of shitty Hanson RPF Mary Sue's that I loved to bits but didn't have the context yet to realize I was reading fan fiction and first discovering the basics of how sex works via a Mulder Scully fic. Yay, abstinence-only sex ed. Also, just starting to teach myself Photoshop, I have fandom to thank for my graphic design degree. <laughs> I have to say that I also have fandom to thank to teach me about Mulder and Scully because uh, and sex because of my similar abstinence-only sex ed education, and I'm very curious to know whether or not IV and I shared the same Mulder-Scully smut fic. Um, the first one that I remember reading was Cheapen Things by M.D. 1016 or 1060 something like that i think you I never forget that username from a different fandom yeah you never forget your first she popped my like literary cherry congratulations it was good it was good for both of us i think fandom actually taught a bunch of us a bunch of skills that we used later in life and then could like so never many. explain how we learned we were like don't worry about it <laughs> yeah don't worry about it i, I know this from i I, just, I know things i'm a millennial i know shit <laughs> I know, I know things from people and places. That's right. Look over I'm there. I'm good with computers. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, the next one is from Bibliophile Pixie, who says, My best early fan memory is from sixth grade. My best friend gave me a handwritten Inyasha Kagome fic as a goodbye gift before oh she moved. God. It was my first ever fic, and I still have it packed away somewhere. That's, like, beautiful. That's so sweet. You should have told us what it was about. Um, I mean, obviously, it was about Inuyasha and Kagome, like, kissing and what, maybe doing some it? lime stuff. But, like, what actually was it? I read some weird filth in that fandom at a young and <sighs> tender age. There is... I've read a lot of Inuyasha fanfiction. Not during the peak of the series. I read a lot of Inuyasha fanfiction during, like, a dark time of the soul. Like, straight up a decade after I had stopped reading the manga. <laughs> and <laughs> why I got really curious because essentially like the only like I don't necessarily my consumption of a fandom does not necessarily like a show or a media content whatever mm. does not necessarily imply that I'll be fanishly engaged with it so like there's a lot of stuff that I watch and I read that I just like I'm not fanish about whatsoever yeah um and I was not fanish about Inuyasha I loved the series. I followed it faithfully, but like I got everything I wanted out of that series from the series itself. I'm frankly surprised that one, you liked Inyasha and that two, you decided to read fan fiction for it because I look at that and I'm like, I love this and you would hate it. Um, I loved Inuyasha so much and I 100% did not love the fandom is what I learned when I went on my journey of discovery. Do you know that like the primary Inuyasha pairing bafflingly is in it is like S kagomi sesho maru i find that really weird but also i was just gonna ask you do you prefer sesho maru to inyasha 100 no wow okay i 100 thought that you would be like sesho maru is so much better than inyasha because inyasha is mm. kind of a, a dumbass um yes in classic like, rumiko takahashi fashion he doesn't need to talk that's not what i need him for like <laughs> 
That's true. He just has to like kind of look good and be real strong and shit. That's right. I don't need him to do other stuff. I can tell him what to do. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's like, true. You can even tell him to sit. I can. I will be very good at that. Um, no, Seshomaru is a punk bitch is like the technical <laughs> term for what Seshomaru-sama is. And I did like, I loved Seshomaru's like arc, whatever, in the series. I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I liked Rin. And I like, there was a lot about the series I really enjoyed. And like, I enjoyed Seshomaru as a character. But like, imagine my fucking surprise when I'm like a goddamn adult human looking for Inuyasha <laughs> fanfiction on like fucking fanfiction.net like on the pit because that's where most of it is and it's all Kagomi Sashimaru and I'm like what happened <laughs> like what uh, happened and I don't know primary, like and that was just like the het pairing because like the primary slash pairing is straight up Seshomaru Inuyasha and I was like are the SPN fangirls here (laughs) have they they invaded anime because they cannot be here I was actually surprised that um Miroku and uh what's her name is starts with an S Sango yes Sango Sama I'm surprised that like they weren't a bigger deal in fandom because like in the manga that was like like I loved Inuyasha Kagome moments but like when Miroku and Sango-sama had a thing. I was like, oh, I can't handle this. It's so romantic. And then I was like, I don't no, want to read fan fiction for that. I completely agree with you. And I think it was probably more romantic in the fandom or like in the manga because they were, they weren't children, you know, like they were actually adults. Yes. And as much as like Miroku is like a fucking monster, like their feelings were deeper and more complicated than you ever saw with Inuyasha and Kagome but like the same I think the same reason that like it wasn't a big deal is because both of those are canon pairings like Inuyasha and Kagome get together Sango and Miroku get together and they drop like a number of shorties like you if you sit through all 786 volumes of Inuyasha you will get the happy ending you crave so I wasn't surprised that like I didn't see more of like I don't know, whatever. But, like, that series is on for, like, 800,000 years, and you would think that, like, people would have created some shit in the middle that made sense, as opposed to Kagomi Seshimaru. What? Is he, like, I was like, are you, like, the little black fandom dress Seshimaru? In which case, (laughs) this is, like, Loki all over again, where I just don't get it. Yeah, I I didn't get it either. But you should read a new new memory. I, I should read a new memory. Okay. We could do a whole um, episode about Inyasha. We can't. We can never do that. Um, my next, uh, the next memory that was submitted to us is anonymous for good reason. Earliest <laughs> Spanish memory, spending hours reading HP theories about book six. Most embarrassing early fanfic memory, reading an author's entire archive, thinking of the best way, thinking the best way to show her I was an attentive reader was to point out errors Many of my corrections weren't even correct. This poor girl and that poor author that she emailed, like, we've all done dumb things in our early fandom days and then looked back in shame. And I'm just real proud of you for sharing that with us. Yes, I'm real proud of you for sharing that under the cover of anonymity. (laughs) Still to guts. I know, but the important thing is that you know that, like, that was not that was not regular that was yes. normal <laughs> that was not yeah. a cool thing to do yeah like you you know better now you learned <laughs> another anon 
first brush with fandom at 12 years old, a German translation of A Very Secret Diary on a goth forum. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good already. Followed by years of lurking on the German equivalent to the pit, mainly for Harry Potter, probably just as wanky as the English fandom, and a weird anime fanfiction site that could only be accessed after midnight and before 6 a.m.? Fifteen years later, I still ask myself sometimes, did I really clear my history? Did I? I need to know about this website. Like, is this website like a gremlin? Like, it only exists? (laughs) How? I know. How? Who? If you know anything about this website, I need you to come to me and tell me. It doesn't matter if you tell anyone else. I have to know. You know what? We did actually get separately an email a while back that, like, I haven't talked about in a little while. And I think it might be the regular German fanfiction website that she's talking about. Um, so Valence wrote us an email to let us know that fanfiction.de, which is spelt with a K and stuff because it's German. Yeah. Um, the two male admins and founders of that site were latent homophobes. And that like there was a whole bunch of like we have a long email about the drama and the censorship and like a whole bunch of shit that went down on that site. So apparently wow. German the pit was like even more of a hot mess than English the pit. I'm so curious now. At some point we'll have to actually break that down for our listeners. Yeah. I just don't think we have time right now, but like interesting. And in the future, not on our hundredth episode, we will actually go take you on a journey. We will be your Virgil through, you know, the seven circles. Sure. <sighs> Come on. I have an Anyways, English degree. <laughs> next one um, is from, I'm totally going to butcher this name. I'm apologizing in advance. Folig no, Bobrovsky. No, no, just stop. It's Folino Bobrovsky. Okay. It's um, a anyways, thing. their earliest Spanish memory, complaining at the dinner table age nine about having to wait two more years for Harry Potter 7, and my mother intru- or my mom introducing me to the concept of fan fiction. The first fanfic she wrecked had a whole section where Snape and Harry went to visit George Lucas in California because it was 2005 and I guess the author really liked the Star Wars prequels. There are so many things that happened in that message. There are a lot of things that happened in that message and wow, your mom. Wow, someone really liked the Star Wars prequels. I hear they're bad. I don't I don't know anything about them, but I hear they're real bad. Like all of the things happened in that one I wow. That's the beauty of fandom, Prue. Wow. Okay. The next one, MK. The next one is from another Anon. My earliest Spanish memory is from second grade. We had creative writing notebooks that we would get to write whatever we wanted in every day. Although at the time I didn't know there was a word for it, I wrote what is essentially a Harry Potter slash The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody crossover fanfic. I have no idea why. I will tell you why, Anon. That sounds like a sweet-ass idea, and I would read that now. (laughs) I'm just, I'm really proud of her. Or him, probably her. Um, I had, like, when I was in, like, grade 7, I essentially wrote fantasy RPF about a bunch of my friends in my class. I, like, wrote a fantasy adventure for them. So, I started with RPF. You can always go worse. Well, we all, like, I think so many of us start with RPF. It's the way that you first, like, engaging with the text in a critical 
like creative way, right? You start imagining yourself as a character in the story as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like only later that you can start, you know, just like, because you only at that young age can conceptualize yourself in the story. As you get older, you can start conceptualizing what a character would do in that story. But like the very first fanfic I wrote, which like, don't go searching for this fandom. It's not on the internet. It was written longhand in a wide world, in a yeah. series of wide world notebooks, was self-insert fan fiction where me and my crush from middle school <gasps> were the new agents that took over the X-Files. No. Yes. Okay, I never did that. That is astounding. There were multiple parts. Like, there, this was, like, not one story. It was like a series of wide world notebooks, which like up until my parents sold the house I grew up in, I knew exactly where they were. This is like spoken like an only child. You don't know the pain of having siblings who would like root through your stuff all the time and then like read shit aloud at the dinner table or like to their friends or your friends or your friend's parents. You know what? I did not like I was one of those little fan people who did not think that there was anything like everyone knew I wrote X-Files fanfic when I was little because what? yeah they knew because I told them no like, I would take that notebook to class I would took that notebook to school and I read it to my friends my sister instilled a deep shame in me for like everything that was me like anything that I liked or was into or would say or wear like she was like you should be ashamed of that well like my I grew up under like very different circumstances obviously but I grew up under the auspices of like totally benign neglect so like I was like left alone for like so such long chunks of my childhood and like my parents would be like what are you doing because I would be like quietly scribbling away and I was like I'm writing a story about the x-files and they're like oh our daughter is so creative and they would like go tell all of their friends I'm not kidding like literally when I was 28 years old we were at like some sort of family like in friends of family event like a person who was like known of me since I was like a fucking twinkle in my dad's eye like came up to me like while I'm like a grown-ass fucking like motherfucking adult (laughs) who has like a serious actual important job with like a business card and everything and is like hey so like are you still writing stories about the (laughs) x-files no No. I cannot even express to you how that conversation went because I literally don't remember it. It's like my brain went into survival mode and shut down. Like I know I extricated myself from that conversation somehow, but I don't remember how. I just know that it happened and then there's like a blank spot. So my sister was like, everything about you is like embarrassing and awful and like you should be ashamed of yourself at all times. And my parents were like, we should know everything that's happening in your life in case, like, you're going to get kidnapped or whatever by perverts on the internet. So I was like, I need to keep everything a secret at all times. Little did they know, as soon as you had a little autonomy, you would be the pervert on the internet, and you would spend most of your time stalking other perverts on the internet. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I stalked one, and it was a success. (laughs) Not something to advertise, my love. Okay, next fanish memory. Number one, I've been listening since season two. She's referring, or this person is referring to Slash Report. But I would like to formally say thank you for doing the show. Thank you for listening, guy. Thanks for Um, sticking with this hot mess. I know, seriously. (laughs) For a week now, old episodes of Slash Report have been the only reason I'm surviving the most boring job in the world. Ugh, sorry, bro. Listen to the Teen Wolf one. Um, Number two, and the Vikings episode. Yes. 
Number two, I just revisited the porn episode with Bina, and can I just say how hilarious it is that Once Upon a Time Crew was vindictively instructing listeners to send MK nodding porn, while MK whined no. Oh, how the times have changed. They really have. They have dramatically changed. Uh, we're always finding new ways to push our own boundaries and our characters' anuses. Yes. I get made fun of a lot for being like, I hate that. I'll never be into it. And then like a year later, I'm like, this is my favorite thing. (laughs) And uh, it's good to see that tradition is continuing. Well, you have like, you have really strong opinions that like have all the solidity of like a house of cards. Is the problem. Like, you just don't stand by your opinions at all. You know what? In the moment, I'm like, yeah, I feel really strongly about this. And then I'm like, oh, hey, I've changed my mind. Oh, this is shiny. This is shiny. I like this now. You know what? Oh my god. It's a great way to live. <laughs> it's sure. Get on that. Um from SDWKPR. You sound like a radio station. That's awesome. From SDWKPR. In New 100 York. commercials to drive <laughs> NK crazy. That's why I don't listen to the radio anymore. That's why I have Apple Music. <laughs> um they should they should pay me for that plug. <laughs> Earliest fandom memories. Damn, I was eight. I must have discovered fic then and was reading Sailor Moon Fluff when I stumbled onto a, quote, lemon archive. Oh, no. So, guys, that is terrible 90s porn. Um, Some of which seemed badly written, even to someone my age, and some (laughs) of which I must have enjoyed. Sailor Moon and Dina Femslash pretty much confirmed my bisexuality before I hit puberty. Lady, that is a lot of us. Um, I remember having a distinct feeling of... Is this what you find when you dig through fandom? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I've been perving my way through fandom for the past 19 years on that feeling. That is very much what you find when you dig through fandom. Just imagine us all as like the wild pigs rooting through the like trees for <laughs> truffles. We're like, oh, a truffle. Oh, this is just some garbage. This is just some DP. That's a great truffle. <laughs> I'll read that. Bring it. I'll, I'll read that truffle all day long. Um, but also, wow. Just lemon is such a fantastic, I wish I knew the origin of that, like lemon and lime as delineations. I'm sure that it, like, we will find it, and when we do, I'll add it to the page, but I remember reading about the origin of those, and I just remember thinking, like, this is some fat shittery that happened, like, when we had 28-8 modems. <laughs> yeah, that those modems were the cause of many heartbreaks. Um, okay, next memory. Uh, Anonymous says, my first fandom story is weird. Aren't they all, my love? I was in primary school. The internet was definitely not a thing. Computers were Apple Macs with the green and black graphics. Ooh, pre-GUI. I was deeply into Trixie Belden Mysteries and Gordon Corman's I Want to Go Home, as you were a right-thinking person, Anon, and wrote shipper fic for them. I left anonymous copies in my classroom (laughs) hoping people would read and love them and then write their own so I could read them. That's so sweet. However, I didn't realize... However, I didn't realize those series were from my mother's era and no one knew who the characters were. You tried your best, Anon. Um, and, you know, like, I'm I'm proud of little you for trying to start, like, essentially a fan fiction archive in real life. An all too. unknowing. I'm so proud of it. Like, that's kind of, like, the overarching theme of a lot of these stories that we got. Or, like, all of the people are, like, have creative souls. And fundamentally generous outlooks right 
Because yeah. so much of this is just like instinctively wanting to go A, create something, and B, like giving it to other people to read and like hoping that they would write something that you could read as well, you know? And I, that's so That's wonderful. the heart of fandom. I love it. That's, that's yeah. like what makes it so great. Yeah. That's like kind of like peak fanish good. So yes. I'm sorry that no one understood the genius of your Trixie Belden and I want to go home fanfic, but if you still have it, I'll read it. I love fucking Corman fanfic. All you have to do is go break into an elementary school. I'm sure that's no problem. <laughs> There's nothing, there's no way that can turn out badly. No way at all. <laughs> okay, next one. Next one. Oh, God. When I was 14, I wrote a whole novel about my self-insert Mary Sue getting into a car accident. Okay. <laughs> and sending her astral self to Hollywood <laughs> to get Edward Furlong to fall in love with her. There is a scene where she watches him in the bathroom. My best friend loved it. Your best friend sounds baller. Um... <laughs> It remains the worst thing I ever wrote. Do you mean the best thing, Anon? Because, like, you and your best friend sound like a good time. Okay, so I have a confession. <laughs> I obviously had to go look Are up you her Edward best friend? Furlong. No, I had to go look up Edward Furlong because I don't know who he is. And I still am not sure that I know until, oh my god, he was John Connor in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Okay, so this was like someone who was a big, wow, his photo now is not good. No, he has, the years have not been kind. They have not been kind. Sorry, I just Googled him and I was like, whoa, he's times like, have changed. Oh man, he's like the painting in someone's attic. This is brutal. <laughs> Ew. Let's, let's push along to the next to none. Age has not been kind. But you know what, Anon, I'm glad that you loved him and that that is a really creative premise. That's a it super is. creative premise. You good had, for you. You had good taste in the moment. You could not have known what he would become. Nobody can. Nobody can. Okay. Next um next comment is from Ray Skywalker. I was probably about 12 when I discovered self-insert all-time low fan fiction. Yikes. On my MySpace. Yikes. I had no idea what fan fiction was at the time, and I was so confused, thinking these dudes were just knocking up the ladies left and right. Realized that wasn't the case soon after and graduated from MySpace in Quizilla fic to live journal community. I don't know. Which is where I learned about slash fic and what mpreg was. Thanks, internet. Don't thank the internet for that. I feel like that girl found some corners of the internet that, like, you and I have never experienced. I, th I think so. Well, it's, I think that, like, fandom and, like, fanishness, it, like, exists in all of us. Like, even people who purport to be total norms. Because I definitely went to high school with this girl, like, straight A, like, genius overachieving Indian girl who, like completely i to this day don't know how this happened she just like wandered into korean pop fandom and like <laughs> she one day i was at her house to study for a test and she started telling me about how she like spent a lot of time reading korean pop fandom stories like she didn't understand what a fanfic was but she knew that people she was wrote still stories there. yeah she knew that people wrote stories about korean pop stars and I was like 16 and probably like going home after this to write about Lex dicking Clark. So like <laughs> it took everything in my body not to like tell her, but mm -hmm. I wanted her to be pure, <laughs> unlike me. So I resisted. 
there are certain people who I've heard talk about things where I'm like, you are definitely like just in fandom and not quite getting it yet. And I cannot be the one to take you further in no, there. No, I can't do it. Like you and I are not like Hannibal Lecter, right? Like we would like Hannibal would see that and be like, poke. Like you and I are like, no, buddy. Like stay clean. Stay it's pure. not that I'm like stay clean, but it's like there are safer ways for people to experience fandom than through me. Oh, no, I just want people to stay pure. I would never, like, volunteer myself as, like, their fanish entryway. Because, like, 98% of the time, if you, like, go to any place where my fanfiction is archived, like, the top hit, like, is gonna involve, like, five dicks in, like, one orifice. Oh, yeah, That's really not not the way anyone should, like, interact with fandom. The private bookmarks on my pin board are private for a reason. (laughs) Unspeakable. Like, there's some shit in there that just should not be shared with people who aren't, like, a level 12 fanfic person. <laughs> you know, like, you need to, like, level up and have, like, a quadruple black belt to get into this business. <laughs> I can't be your guide. <laughs> Next. Next. From Dried Tree Sap. My first encounter with fandom was when 14-year-old me noticed that teenage... Wait, that TNT was no longer broadcasting due south. Those monsters. My family had just gotten the internet, so I fired up my favorite search engine, the dog one. Okay. I think (laughs) it's Dogpile, and I think it still technically exists. Oh, my God. I think I looked at that and, like, didn't use it when I was a kid. Um, And ended up looking at what I thought were scripts for unaired shows. We have all been there. Yes. (laughs) Then the boy kissing started. (laughs) I didn't know what was going on. But that part made my Southern Ray's little mind explode and was not my first look at Slash. But the fact that he was totally kissing the wrong Ray, what the heck, dude? <laughs> I feel you, and we are possibly disagreeing about the Rays, but everybody has their Ray, and I don't... Listen, some of you swing both Rays, but I am like, Ray for life, the end. And don't, don't send me any fucking asks about how Ray Kowalski is better, because you are wrong. And we can't talk about it because I have so many feelings. <laughs> Can I just? It's so great to me that this fandom has two established hills that we will die on. Mine is that I hate Tumblr and we can't talk about it. And yours is like rapey for life, like gang signs for life. <laughs> These are the two. You're not wrong. <laughs> I wish I was. You wish you were, and yet, no, this is how we live. <laughs> oh, dry trees. I, I feel like at some point, I almost want to, like, do, like, a southern girl meetup. Like, southern girls who got sex ed through fucking phantom. And, like, that's why we were the ones who did not end up pregnant in high school. Oh, my God. Because we were reading Mulder and Scully fanfic, and I knew what a condom was. Sex ed in Canada is, you know, it's better than it is in the States, but still there is a lot that is lacking. And I just remember being a kid and my friends would like ask stuff after health class and I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, let me tell you how (laughs) anal sex works. We're 10. You need Luna. Obviously, who doesn't know that at 10? Next memory from Anonymous. My first fandom experience was Teen Wolf and Steric fandom. Dear God, help your soul. There was great stuff, and I still read fic for it often, but it was not the greatest experience with all the fan and PR wank and negativity. Oh, that's true. 
it's kind of made me not ever get invested in any fandom or show as deeply as I was with that one. That's a shame. It is a shame. See, this is a thing where, like, in certain fandoms, I just can't read the the meta um, because sometimes the meta is actually about that shit and I can't handle it. I'm like, that's that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah, well, I also think the other element of this is that, I mean, not all fandoms are like that. There are many fandoms that are just, like, happy, supportive, fun places. Um, yeah. So... It, I mean, like, if you don't feel comfortable engaging with, like, fandoms to the depth that you had with Teen Wolf, it's I think that's completely understandable, and you need to do what you need to do to curate your fanish experience to make sure that it's, like, the positive, like, fun thing that it should be. But I think at the same time, like, don't be hesitant to give stuff a chance, right? Like, you can, you're a little wiser now and a little bit more experienced, so you can go in and like lurk a little bit before you decide to like go all in why are you laughing it's okay but your first love broke your heart there will be other loves <laughs> there's still someone out there for you it's true i can't believe i'm giving that fucking pep talk but it's true you literally sound like you're her mom I am. I am. I don't want you to be really upset with that terrible teen wolf boy. They are not all like that. And one day you will find a fandom who understands how funny and smart and interesting you are. You have just got to love yourself as much as I do, Anon. Next confession. Next confession. <laughs> not even confession. Next memory. Anon. First fandom ever was the Tortal series by Tamora Pierce where I wrote <laughs> where I wrote my little third grade journal, really shitty OCs. <laughs> and it was all very nice and sweet. My first real fandom interactions with oh, eighth grade no. during the second season of Supernatural, which has a fanish experience, the exact opposite of sweet and innocent. Oh my god, you know why that's extra terrible? Because like seasons one through three was when was when the RPF was the moral high ground of that fandom. Yeah, I I was in that fandom for, like, the first three seasons, and then I was like, I can't handle this, and I had to leave. Oh my god, that's amazing. Wow. Oh, sweetheart, that's like a, that's a big shift. It is a big shift. <laughs> Next. Um, okay, in the eighth grade, I was obsessed with Star Wars. Google, uh, this is also from Anon. Google was a fancy new thing that didn't work that well, and nobody knew how to properly use anyway. I had never heard of fan fiction, but decided to use this fancy Google thing to find something on the internet related to Star Wars. Somehow, what I ended up with was a crossover Star Wars Star Trek fic, where all the characters were furries. <laughs> I printed it off and attempted to read it. It took four years before I gave fan fiction another try. <laughs> I love this, like, the way that people are describing things is like you had a really bad first date and you were like, so I'm just not going to date for a while. <laughs> I just, I mean, like, to be fair, if you had found a Star Wars Star Trek crossover wherever it was furries. I only really read crossovers for a brief time when I was desperate at the cottage with very limited internet. (laughs) But it would still, like, it would leave a mark on you. Yes, yes, it would. Um, (sighs) another Anon. My earliest fandom memory was looking around the forums on the N website and finding some Harry Potter fan fiction. It was some kind of terrible book four hiatus fic where they described what everyone was wearing. We've all been Good. there. <laughs> but I distinctly so remember important. 
Ron and Hermione going to Hogsmeade and then making out in a field, and then there was a reach for a belt and then a fade to black, and my tiny pervert mind was like, <laughs> I need more of this. So I went hunting for more fan fiction and never looked back. I am so proud of young you. Because that is like living your best life, where you were like, you know what? They shouldn't have faded to black. Give me the rest of this. <laughs> I'm trying not to think about how old you were when that happened. Whatever. Okay. Next memory is from Abandoned Plant. For the 100th episode, I loved the boxcar children so much when I was a kid. I made little figures and a Polly Pocket compact style house out of clay. It was really simple, but I remember making little holes in the floor so the figures could move between them. That is awesome. That is super awesome. And let me just say the boxcar children were fucking rad. I still love the boxcar children. I actually went through, um, so like I go in and out of reading phases. I don't actually like that much like literary fiction or like adult fiction. I mostly read nonfiction. Um, but I love children's books still. And Mm -hmm. I would say like maybe two or three years ago, I went through a phase where I like genuinely reread like the first 20 books of the boxcar children and they hold up. Yeah. Great. Great stories. That shit's still awesome. That's so cool that you made that. I wonder if your parents still have it. That's such a neat thing. It is really cool. I was not handy. I still can't fucking sew a button. I Um, can't even draw a straight line. (laughs) Next. Next. Anon. The first fic I ever read in any fandom that was longer than maybe 20k was Drastically Redefined Protocol. I have a (laughs) extremely low tolerance for secondhand embarrassment. So I read it through my fingers, feeling like I was going to die whenever anyone brought up Merlin's crush on Arthur. Basically, what I'm saying is that it's Prue's fault that I'm still wandering around this internet hellscape. What, seven, eight years later, as DRP burdened me with a need for an, for actual story structure in my fic that I can't seem to shake. No, um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I got to like live read that shit while she was writing it, and I also can't handle secondhand embarrassment, and it was like incredibly <laughs> painful, and I had to like be like, "That's so embarrassing. Keep going." Well, the best part about this was wasn't that also the exchange or the the experience where we learned that like my life is like a terrible like sit- shitty sitcom farce like whenever you were like it's so embarrassing that could never happen to anyone I'm like that is definitely happened to me before I would be like this is too realistic unrealistic this would never happen she's like it happened to me last week and I'd be like what is wrong with you I don't know it's just it's kind of one of those things where like whenever people talk about like whenever you have those like really hilarious cartoons about people staying up at night like going over the embarrassing things they did in the day I'm like if I did that I would never sleep oh my god that happens to me like a couple times a year and like gives me insomnia because I can't handle it the idea that you willingly wear white like I haven't worn white since I was like since I started sweating like when I got puberty I was like "Mm, now we can never cross this line again because I'll only have like yellow armpits or I'll bleed through the crotch like these are my options never wearing white again the end I mean I mean, that being said, as people who have listened to, like, the Female Gaze podcast knows, know what happened one of the last significant times I wore all white. I still have that dress. And uh, I still stand by my fashion decisions. I will wear white again. You've said that before, and I still stand by mine in that I will never wear white. 
I mean, completely fair, completely fair. Anand, I'm very sorry about drastically redefining protocol uh, and of leaving this terrible gray black smear on your life. <laughs> um, next, uh, next memory from another anonymous person. I don't know if this counts as a fanish experience, but the first time I remember ta- taking canon and transforming it was in grade one yes. or two. <laughs> the Sorry, day I love Captain. The day after a Captain Planet episode aired, my group of friends would all hang out at lunchtime, acting out possible scenarios that ended in Wheeler and Linka getting together. Same with Rogue and Gambit from the X-Men animated series. We were total dorks. Uh, you were total badasses, I you think were is the word you're badasses. looking for. Here's the thing that about that. That is so cool. It's really cool. And this is that thing where like, there's that thin line between people who are like, not really into fandom yet, but they're doing fanish stuff. Like so many kids that I knew when I was a kid would all do that shit. Yep. And only a couple of them wound up in fandom. Like they just did that when they were kids and then they stopped. And I'm like, but how did you stop? Like, I don't get that part. Exactly. Exactly. That's how we're here. We couldn't shake the habit. No. Um, From Red Gold Sparks. Possible earliest vanished memory. Between the U.S. releases of Harry Potter books three and four, my best friend and I spent one whole day riding our bikes up and down the driveway debating what color we thought the title would be on the fourth book. My family didn't have internet. I know. My family didn't have internet access at that time, but I scanned every paper I could get for articles on Harry Potter that I cut out and saved. To this day, I have a huge binder of Harry Potter articles and other ephemera. I'll probably keep it forever. I think that's so sweet. It's sweet, and it's the safe alternative to finding a binder of printed out fan fiction, you know, that either you wrote or were reading, like, ten years later. Accurate, especially if it's that a Star Wars, Star Trek furries fanfic. You never know what you're going to print out. In, like, you just download those text files, <laughs> and you print it, and you put it in a binder, and that way you have it on the go. Shit happens, man. Sometimes you just print stuff, you know? You don't really think about it. Sometimes you just print stuff. I've printed a Um, lot of shit that I regretted. I print all sorts of shit. Um, Next memory from Probably in Traffic. My first fandom memory is obviously being 13 and reading Harry Potter smut on my mom's (laughs) laptop for 15 minutes at lunch every day and then running back out of the house to go to cram school. I don't even remember how I figured out the password to that laptop, but I do recall deleting Internet Explorer history. Which, alas, did not solve the problem of turning those purple links back to blue or stopping the address bar from auto-completing ff.net. I'm completely too chicken shit to ask my mom if she knew. Probably in traffic. What if she was also reading (gasps) Harry Potter smut? Oh, I was just going to say, this is a great reason to never use Internet Explorer, but like, holy shit balls. I mean, you presume that those links were purple and that the auto-complete was you. What if it was her? What if it was her all along? What if it was coming from inside the house? Inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've scarred you forever. Next. From Derek Plays Viola. In my early fan days, I didn't even know fan communities existed about stuff that I was interested in. Um, but I religiously recorded every single anime episode that was shown in German TV by programming my VCR every single day. I had a Fucking rotating... commitment, buddy. Yeah. We've, we've all, a bunch of us did that. Um, I had a rotating set of 20 videotapes, which got over-recorded every day on long play. I had 20 tapes where I collected my favorite Sailor Moon episodes, all lovingly adorned with Sailor Moon stickers and huge do-not-delete signs. 
Actually discovering Spanish communities with Harry Potter was like a revelation. That's adorable. I, I love that. I love that so much. I still have like three VHS tapes in my apartment, even though obviously I don't own a VCR. Yeah. But I worked hard on those tapes, so. Well, when I was at my parents' house last, oh my God, when was that, like over a year ago? When I was last at their house, I was like in my room in their new house and they have like new bookshelves and like all sorts of furniture that doesn't belong to me um, in that room. But like the, I was looking at the bookshelf because a lot of my like children's books that I used to read are there, mm-hmm. but like the very bottom level of the shelf is literally all the VHSs that I made as a youth. So there's like a bunch of X-Files on VHS with the original <laughs> Fox commercials from the 90s and the 2000s like meticulously detailed labels on them with timestamps on the bottom shelf of this. And I can't throw them away. Like I spent so much of my life working on that. I purchased from someone on the internet laser discs that they had recorded episodes of Sue Thomas FBI off of the Vision Whoa. Channel, which is Canada's like, are you a retired person who really believes in Jesus channel? <laughs> And sometimes the commercials are in there, and sometimes you only get part of the commercial, but either way, it just adds to the experience. Uh, Next Spanish memory from Firebolt, watching the movie adaptation of... Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay, that we never speak of, and being horribly offended in every possible way for two hours. God, I've never experienced worse. I'm sorry, that sounds awful. My thing with that movie is that I watched it before I saw any Avatar The Last Airbender, and I was like, I mean, this movie isn't good, but there's a couple okay things in it. And then I watched the show, and I watched Korra, and I was like, never mind, that movie is garbage, let's never speak of it. (laughs) Well, at least you got something out of it eventually. Yeah. Um, Another Anon. Earliest fandom memory, and actually my introduction to fandom, bratty high school me decided she hated The X-Files. To punish we can never be friends, Anon. Wait, wait for it. To punish my insolence, my friend somehow divined who I would find hot, David Duchovny and Nicholas Lee, for the record, gathered up a bunch of Mulder crycheck slash and oh, methodically no. bombarded me with it until I broke. I still <laughs> lied to all of my other friends and family that I hated the show to save face, but I recorded the episodes to watch in secret oh and wrote God. terrible Mulder crycheck fic for nearly a year. Okay, I take it back. We can be friends all day long and not. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a great oh, one. That's that's amazing. Um, okay, second to last one, guys. These have all been so amazing. Thank you for sending them in. I, we've so enjoyed getting them. And yeah. just being able to share them all with you is such a joy. Um, second to last one, Crescent Loose. My earliest Spanish memory is getting really into Winx Club. Not sure what that is, but it sounds nasty. It when I was nasty. 11 and it just started airing, I stumbled on ff.net and literally the second thick I clicked on was 5k of the most <laughs> hardcore fetish porn I've ever seen, even after 10 years of fandom. I erased the browser history, lived in fear of my parents finding out I read porn on the internet for a week, and was too scared to return to fandom until months later in the relative safety of the K through T Harry Potter section. <laughs> You know what, I think this is like an awesome thing where like a lot of us as kids, the first couple times you accidentally clicked on porn, you were like, oh my god, hide all the evidence, burn the computer, like no one can ever know. And then like, after a couple months, you're like, yeah, whatever, I'll just switch windows. 
you get super lackadaisical about it in like a bad way. You're like, whatever, um, I've got and, floppy disks of this. It's fine. Exactly. And we're about to have MK read the last one. But I would like to say before she even reads the last one, I genuinely think that she wrote this one. I did not so write this. That's what made it let's magical. Let, let's let MK wrap it all up with a fantastic early fanish memory from one of our anonymous commenters. My earliest memory of fandom was finding the Sailor Moon fanfiction archive and absolutely glutting myself on fic going in alphabetical order. I did that to Anon. I was like 13 <laughs> to 14, so I couldn't even really recognize what was good or bad. You could only halfway tell the length by how many kilobytes it was. Yes, oh real problems. Oh man, I remember bookmarking everything I loved in Internet Explorer and sobbing like my pet just died when the <laughs> Windows 98 computer inevitably crashed and I lost everything. <laughs> I feel for you, buddy. I do. That's, you know. Are you sure this isn't you? It's not me because I discovered that shit when I was like nine. Yeah. And, you know, on an older computer and shit. Plus, the first thing that I read in Sailor Moon fandom was, like, <laughs> it was a really long epic that updated once a week, thankfully, um, with, like, a whole ton of original characters inserted in, in, like, a giant epic battle. You know, they had essentially created their own season of Sailor Moon. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, I really liked it at the time. And then eventually I was like, but there's something missing in this story. And I discovered romance. And then everything went downhill from there. And it was my secret shame forever. Yeah, you've never looked back. Never I have looked never back. looked back, no. But this was a great look back. I, I love, like, guys, we so loved all of the stuff you sent us. It's fantastic. It was so much fun reading through this. Guys, it's been so much fun doing 100 episodes with you, MK. And with you. Yeah, and it's been, like, just a thrill and a real joy to be able to, like, have this medium to talk to people about fandom and to, you know, talk to all of you guys about our thoughts and our feelings and for you guys to talk back to us. And, you know, we can see from just looking through this very smallish archive of first fanish memories that like so many of the roots of what makes fandom great are there from the moment that you first discover fandom and i think that that's kind of fantastic it's like that that urge to create and to share and to try and inspire other people to create and share and i think that's just like it's my favorite thing agree a hundred percent agree um and guys i think that brings us to an end of our 100th episode mk Wow, a hundred. It feels really weird. It feels really weird. It feels weird to be wrapping this up, but it also feels good. We've been talking for a long time. We've been talking for 100 episodes. 100 episodes, plus all the stuff that we deleted because it was garbage or the retakes that we had to do. <laughs> this episode had a retake, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that when you hear it. Um... <laughs> Times. So guys, thank you for hanging out with us for five seasons, 100 episodes, for sharing with us your stories, your memories, your terrible confessions, your weird questions, the, the worst stories that you've read, the best stories that you've read, times you got pulled over by the cops while you were still listening to a porn <laughs> episode for some reason. We've loved 
all of it. And it's been a blast. And we hope to see you on the flip side as well when we hit episode 101. During the week, if you miss us, I don't know why you would, you can find us on Twitter at Slash Report. If you miss me, you can find me on Twitter at Often Imprudent. You can find MK at? At Moonclet. And if you want to see utter nothingness, you can go to our Tumblr at slashreport.tumblr.com, even though we do not post anything there. And until next week, see you later. Bye. Bye.